I didn't see I didn't see you out there uh, swimming in the waves. In fact, I've never seen you swimming in them. You got a. Uh, There's a reason for that. That's the next level of your beach education: learning how to swim in the ocean. Yeah, that's that's unlikely because the ocean is full of things that eat you and stuff, and that's <laughs> they're not going to eat you. It's fine. Don't you see all the people playing? They live. They go back to their homes. It's fine. Most of them. Hmm. Oh, yeah, gosh. every day, every day, this, <laughs> the jellyfish are just taking people. So we haven't spoken to each other in uh, in a, like a week and a half, two weeks, something like that. But uh, we are back together again, back on the normal schedule. We'll be back on the normal schedule as far as we know for at least a little while, probably until the holidays start picking up. And, you know, if things are going to go back to normal, we have to do what we always do. And that is your favorite segment and mine and especially John's. Ask ATP? Yeah, that's it. No, it's follow-up. So we are starting with the streaming music iPod shuffle-like thing thing which is apparently something that uh that spotify or i don't know if it's for is it first party i don't know anyway it's a thing that's for for spotify that's called mighty which is a peculiar name that is basically an ipod shuffle but for spotify from what i've gathered so john can you tell me a little more about this everybody sent us uh links to this thing and then eventually uh, the verge picked it up too so that's what we'll link in the show notes uh because we're talking about the place in the market for something like an ipod shuffle but this doesn't really qualify because first of all it's not 50 bucks it's 85 second it does not have cell data access it only has wi-fi and bluetooth uh so you know we're saying last show was the last show maybe the show before that you know eventually you'll be able to make one of these for 50 bucks that can just stream music uh we're not there yet but this one definitely looks like doesn't look like an ipod shuffle looks like a Fisher Price version of an iPod Shuffle. In fact, it's, pro- it's probably better. This is the thing that was annoying about the shuffles that it's so minimal, and you needed to like feel your hand on it to do like a volume up or down or next previous track. Right, you could find the middle button pretty well, but because it was a circle, trying to make sure that you're hitting up on the circle instead of right or left, which can be very bad if you're in the middle of a podcast, especially before they got the software updated, or if, if your track got rid wasn't marked as a podcast in itunes and it was just a song and you hit the button and just lose your place entirely uh you couldn't feel with your finger what what is up and what is down this one's a little bit better because the center thing is a square so you could feel the flat edge anyway um it's just another uh, coincidence of uh, a product that is kind of like what we're talking about but not really like it so we'll come back in 10 years <laughs> all right marco tell me about audio bit depth because uh apparently we got that ever so slightly wrong well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> so last show we had some discussion about um, whether Apple should or ever will sell higher resolution music. You know, so because like, like the audiophile world loves uh, high bit rate, high sample rate music like 24, 192 and stuff like that. So Amea Matra writes in to say... While I understand high-resolution audio isn't for everybody, I was disappointed that you guys get the basic terminology wrong. Given the technical bias of your show and audience, a follow-up item addressing the difference between bit depth and bit rate would be appreciated. Um, so basically, so bit rate is how many bits a, a, an, a an encoding scheme is using, you know, usually per second to encode the total music. So in a lossy scheme, this basically, like MP3, it would be like 128 kilobits per second. And that is just like the quality level of the music that you're getting. It's it's how many bits it will allocate to representing it. And usually the more bits you allocate to it, the higher quality you can achieve and the less you have to throw away. Bit depth is basically talking about how precise the samples are. 
you know, everybody can kind of picture what a wave looks like. Uh, that's, you know, that's how sound waves come in and are represented in the uncompressed form. Um, this actually doesn't apply to things like MP3 uh, quite the same way because the way the sound is represented is different. Uh, but basically, when you're looking at just a pure waveform uh, and the way that's represented uh, in like a lossless file or, or a wave or, or, uh, or AIFF, every sample of audio, so you have like the sample rate of like, you know, 44,100 samples per second or whatever else represented as hertz. Every one of those samples, it's, it's representing the amplitude of that wave as a number. And the bit depth is the precision of those numbers. So if it's 16-bit like CDs, then that is represented by a 16-bit signed integer. If it's 24-bit, you have more bits. If it's usually, I think a 24, or I think beyond 24, I think it's always float. Um, and you have, you have floating point representations. And the reason these matter is that as you're encoding the music to these samples, there's you have to fit a, a number, the value that you're getting from like the analog or whatever. You have to fit the value of that into this many bits of a number per sample. And so there's a certain degree of rounding that happens and a certain degree of error that's introduced as part of that rounding. If you only have 16 bits, then that's that kind of limits your resolution of how you know, how precise of a number you can represent there. And so there's all sorts of complicated things that go on in DACs and ADCs about basically how you round the numbers in such a way to minimize the error or to hide the error uh, in different noise patterns and everything else. As you increase the error rate, you increase the noise floor. So you, 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 you reduce the signal-to-noise ratio that's the difference between the loudest sound you can hear and the quietest sound that can be represented, you know, below like the noise floor. So you basically increase like the hiss level at the very bottom of the track. The reason why audiophiles freak out about this is because when you go from 16-bit to 24-bit, which is where they usually go, the noise floor does drop considerably. There's a great Wikipedia article uh, titled Audio Bit Depth. You should check it out. Um, basically, the noise floor at 24 uh, bits uh, for, for bit depth is 144 decibels. And at 16 bits, the regular CD standard, it's only 96. So it, that's a pretty big difference. However, the reason this doesn't really matter for the most part is that 96 decibels of signal-to-noise ratio covers the human audible hearing range pretty well. The actual human audible hearing range is something like 120 decibels. It varies per person a little bit, but it's around 120 decibels. So it actually isn't representing the entire human audible hearing range, but it's like you don't want to turn your speakers up so loud that you're actually damaging your eardrums. Like the human hearing range can go much higher in in volume than what you actually should ever be listening to on a sustained basis. Like that's like, you know, a rock concert or a jet airplane flying overhead or things like that. That's if you listen at any reasonable length to something that loud, you're going to damage your hearing pretty quickly, permanently. So <laughs> 96 decibels of signal-to-noise ratio, which is what you get from CD-quality 16-bit audio, is good enough upon listening. Where it matters is if you are editing, if you're, pro if you're recording audio. Like, I record my end of the show as 24-bit. I record audio 24-bit whenever I can, or as float even whenever I can, which is 32-bit usually, because when you're editing, you're changing the numbers, you're processing the audio. And so if you have rounding error, over time that could add up after you apply a certain number of like filters or adjustments or anything like that, and then that 96 decibels of noise floor that was in the original signal, once you process it a few times and you're rounding off the numbers a few more times, you might actually have more error in the signal than that, and it, the noise floor might start to become audible. 
So where higher bitrate audio makes sense is in mastering and editing and recording. But the final shift version that you that you release to the public or the version that you, the listener, are listening to doesn't need to be more than 16-bit for almost any reason whatsoever. All right. Sorry. Well, that solves that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's as though, Marco, that you, you really care about audio. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand where this comes from. If you want, also, there's a wonderful uh, video that explains a lot of this. Um, there's a guy, Monty, I think his full name is Chris Montgomery. He is um, either the guy or one of the people who invented the Og Vorbis audio codec. And he has a lot of great uh, explainers out there about basically like why you don't need higher than CD quality audio as a listener. Um, and, and explains a lot of that stuff. I learned a lot from that and some other research, but we'll put both these links in the show notes, both that, that video and the Wikipedia article on audio bit depth. Excellent. So we had a couple of thoughts, or, or listeners had a couple of thoughts, about the iPhone Pro notch. And I'm embarrassed to admit that there's one thought that I didn't consider. So I'm in the camp that I think, not having seen anything, of course, that it makes the most sense to to kind of hide the notch. So it, hypothetically, the area adjacent to the notch would be all black, so it would all kind of blend together, and it would just look like empty screen in the center, and it would look not too dissimilar from the way a phone looks today. But somebody, maybe it was one of you guys, thought, well, okay, smart guy, what happens when you go landscape? And I uh, don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> so I, I'm really I'm ashamed at myself that I didn't even think about this yet until I saw this in the show notes. So uh, Marco, what do you think about what happens when you put this f- supposed phone in landscape? So obviously it depends on like wh- how they handle the notch in the in the UI. If the notch is basically hidden and you just have like status bar black on left and right and then you have like a square window below it that takes up the rest of the screen, um, which as I mentioned previously, that's what I kind of hope they do. Uh, if that's what they do, then I think it's pretty easy in landscape. You just leave those, those, those little strips black and you don't use them at all. Um, that's probably not what they will do. I have a feeling what they actually will do is, you know, shove translucent UI under those and, and have ways to actually, you know, use it in, in a way that might be kind of awkward. Now, in landscape, the only reason I think anybody uses their phones in landscape, uh, I, I think probably the big ones are watching video, although even that, a lot of people watch it in portrait anyway, just because they're, they, that's how they are used to holding their phones. Um, also certain games play in landscape. Although again, I think the most successful ones play in portrait on the phone. Um, and then, uh, the other thing is, I guess when you're, when you're taking video or shooting with the camera, you might rotate it. So all those things could, they could make ways to, to use the notch in a few clever ways. Like maybe a game could shove some controls in there. Maybe the camera can shove some controls in there, but I have a feeling most of what we're going to see is basically going to be in landscape. The notch just becomes black and you don't see it at all. Yeah, I think you can't can't do anything with the notch in landscape because anything that you would think of doing would represent data loss to the content. In in a portrait, the status bar is not your content; it's part of the UI. So you can do whatever dance you want to do with the status bar, whether it, you know it hides in there or the status bar is below or whatever. But uh, if you're in landscape and you're doing video or something. Even if the OS lets you go edge to edge and use the notches, what if you want to see what's under the camera things? It's like, oh, right, something's in my way. I can't, I can't see what the camera's shooting there. I know maybe that's not important. Uh, what was there was something that I was angry about. Oh, uh, I think it was like QuickTime Player many years ago. Maybe still now. I don't know. I still use QuickTime Player Seven, but at one point 
uh, Apple, I believe Apple, uh, released a video player. I think it was the QuickTime player that would show video in a window with rounded corners. And it was like, what's like, don't chop off the corners. Like there's video in those corners. Why? Not that there's a lot of video, but there is video there. And you're just like, no, you don't need to see that because it's more important for this window to have rounded corners than for you to see the video that's in that corner. And I know it's just a small thing, but just on the principle, it's like, if you do that, I don't even have the option to see what's under the notch, right? So I think you have to, just when you go into landscape, uh, I feel like the OS should just enforce it entirely. Maybe games could come up with something clever to do, like little men climb on the notch, right? Or the notch is like a little gun turret or something. But beyond that... (laughs) That'd be awesome. I mean, yeah, because you can incorporate it and be fun, but it would only work in this one model of phone. It's just so much safer to say when, when it goes in landscape, forget about the notch. We don't light up the pixels on either side of it. The thing is just, you know, it's it's just a straight line down the edge. I also saw, by the way, another mock-up image a while ago showing screen real estate-wise, what do you get with the edge-to-edge phone? And I know this can't be true because this one's got to be wider than the iPhone 7 too, but it was like, it was basically trying to say you don't really get any new space because all the new pixels on the bottom are taken up ostensibly with the home button area and whatever they're going to do there. And, the, and this, this thing was assuming that like the UI nav bar wasn't going to throw stuff there. And on the top, you've got the notch. Uh, and then you got a little sliver of space. And then you've got the normal iPhone size screen in between those two things. And a little sliver of space was like, look like a little status bar. So the idea was that, I guess if you had a non-optimized for iPhone Pro application, it would show its status bar below the notch in the traditional way because between the bottom of the notch and the top of the software home button area would would be a screen that is the same resolution as some existing iPhone. Anyway, that's that's the impression I got from this image. But the more I think about it, the more I think that can't possibly be the case because at the very least it should be wider than the other stuff. But um, it would be weird if there was like a backward compatibility mode for unmodified apps that were not like notch savvy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that they, because they, you know, and you would think that Apple wouldn't do that. It's inelegant. They, to, they, you know, phone apps run at two X on your iPad to this day, and it looks terrible. And they zoom uh, things that have not been updated for the iPhone five form. But like, they in the past they've done that, and it's been a good choice because it's like, look, if people don't update their apps, we'll make them run as close as possible to the way they used to run. So the app has no idea that it's running on a totally new weird phone. It just looks a little bit strange but it's completely compatible because we don't do anything weird and i can imagine that happening with uh with this new phone uh which will be bad but i guess will motivate people to incorporate the notch into their applications <laughs> fair enough now why bother having the notch in the first place again I, I was, this is one of my thoughts uh why why are we why are we doing this what why do we have a notch like the, the edge to edge screen. All right. Yeah. We want to have an edge to screen, but why do we have to have a notch of that? You can go all the way to the left edge, all the way to the right edge and all the way to the bottom edge. All you had to do is not go all the way to the top edge. And instead of having a notch, you have a presumably very thin little forehead. It would still be a quote unquote edge to edge screen as compared to all iPhones previously, which had very large chins and foreheads, right? The, the notch is asymmetrical. And so would the, 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 ver- the skinny little forehead version. But it's it would less al- asymmetrical, John. Yeah, the notch, I, I mean. Well, but, you know, the whole point is there's something on the top that's not on the bottom. Whether it's a skinny thing that's on the top and on the Anyway, 
Um, and it would just it would just eliminate an entire class of weird software problems. So presumably Apple has done a lot of work in the OS and in the frameworks figuring out the answers to all these questions that we're just guessing at now, right? They've done, they've figured out answers to all of these. They've decided what they're going to do in all these different cases, tested applications, tested the new APIs so you can be notch savvy and do all this stuff, right? All of that work would go away if they just made that notch go from edge to edge, but I guess the phone wouldn't look as cool. And then, you know, I, I don't know, like, does anyone else have a notch? Is Apple going to be the first notch one? I know there are phones out there that already look like edge to edge screen, but with a little skinny forehead. So maybe Apple just didn't want to look like that can't innovate anymore my ass (laughs) this would be one of those things where uh if apple were was like other companies and like you could they had like interviews with the designers like you get the whole team that designed the new iphone and they'd have to do a big article and like wired or something and be like tell me about your motivation for design and they they would like explain why they went with the notch right but we never get those reasons it's like this is the phone here it is maybe there's a sentence and a keynote about it which Apple will never ever elaborate on, and you know, like, so we just you know, we just have to wait twenty years for the tell-all books. But it's a bit of a head scratcher for me because I think it looks cool with the notch. I think there's going to be some interesting possibilities there, but it is a heck of a lot of work, and it seems like a a stopgap. Like, are we going to have notches forever? Presumably, whatever tech issues necessitate the notch will diminish over time either you're able to embed those sensors someplace else or you'll be able to make such a skinny forehead that it won't even be a forehead and it'll just be like the thing goes to edge to edge or i don't know that this is not the permanent state of all like will all future iphones have notches for the next seven years there's going to be notches from here to there because they're doing all again doing all this work with the os and everything it would seem like a, a waste if it's just like remember the time we we rejiggered all the uh, the uh, frameworks on the os for this one phone and it was the only one that ended up having a notch i don't know We'll find out in the fall, I guess. Yeah, this is this is why what I want to happen, although I don't think this is what will happen again, but what I want to happen here is I want the notch to to basically be invisible in the software. Like I want it to just have a status bar on left and right. Then then you, you get the extra twenty point height that the status bar would have taken up in the main screen. You can shove that up in, in you know into this little side area where there is no center, but you can rearrange status bar. And then the application frame is just everything below that. I would love that, that was a solution. I don't want as as a user and as a programmer of of apps for this thing and as a designer of the app, I do not want to have to deal with the notch. I think it will be clunky and weird, and I think it will look weird as a user. I'm not looking forward to that at all. And I and I do think it looks like an inelegant hack. And if Samsung would have released that notch and Apple didn't, we'd make fun of them for it. That's exactly the kind of thing we'd be like, oh, you guys are bad at design. Look at this stupid notch. Just like the, you know, like the flat tire Moto 360 watch. Like We made fun of that relentlessly. Everyone in, in Apple World did um, because that was, a, that was like a bad design hack to get around a, a physical shortcoming. I don't see how the notch is any different. That looks like a bad design hack to get around a physical shortcoming to me. Um, again, we'll see what happens when, when we see the final software, but I, I really do not want the UI in any way to wrap around that except the status bar in a way that you barely even notice. But because of that leaked image from the HomePod firmware, showing that notch as like the recognizable iconic shape of this phone, that's the reason I'm concerned that they're not doing it that way. That must be the lock screen, like you said. It may, yeah, maybe just the lock screen. That that wouldn't be too bad. Um, but if it's any other parts of the UI, like if, if they scroll translucent bars under there or anything like that, I, I really, I don't think I'm going to like that. that again, that seems like... That seems like a bad design hack, not good design. 
So people in the chat room are posting pictures of, of course, Android phones that have their own little notches. The, the, the one they're seeing, showing here is a very tiny notch. It just wraps around one little front-facing camera because obviously the, you know, why, why does uh, the, the new phone supposedly have a notch instead of just this little tiny button-like cutout? Because it's got to have more than just a camera there. Maybe it'll have two front-facing cameras. Certainly it's got the IR sensor for depth of the face stuff. Like, who knows what's in that notch? Uh, but it can't be as small as this one. But anyway, as in all things, uh, Android phones have done it uh, first. So I think actually Simpsons did it first, John. Then Opera. Then <laughs> Opera. That's Simpsons right. did it is the line. Opera did it first is that joke. So I think Opera wins this one. Thank you. Did you really just well actually me? <laughs> you sure did. The sad oh part gosh. is he's right. <laughs> we are sponsored this week by Eero. Go to Eero.com and use code ATP for free overnight shipping. Wi-Fi, when you only have one router, just doesn't cover houses very well because Wi-Fi waves don't go through walls as well as they go through open spaces and you get these dead zones and everything else. Eero is designed to solve that problem because businesses and, and schools and campuses have done this for a long time. They use multiple access points. And if you did this for your home, it was very, very complicated before Eero. Eero makes it incredibly easy to have a distributed Wi-Fi system, enterprise-grade Wi-Fi in your home with the easiest setup of any system I've ever seen. All you do, you plug it in, you use their app on your iPhone or your Android phone, and it sets it up, and you have to do literally almost nothing. So you get the one main unit, and they've actually just updated their hardware. The old ones are great too, but they just did the Generation 2 system. So this has the main unit, which is now tri-band as twi- and twice as fast as the first one, has whole other radio, you have these now these secondary units. Uh, they used to be the same as the as the main unit. Now they have these little ones called beacons, and they are even smaller, even simpler. They look like kind of just slightly larger than a nightlight, and you just plug it in. And it sits flush in your outlet. It looks amazing. It's tiny. It's unobtrusive. They even actually have nightlights in the bottom of the beacons, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, so if you put it like in a hallway or anything, and it makes it so easy to place anywhere, and that covers the whole house, and they don't have to be wired to each other. Only the first one has to be wired to your home's internet connection. And the other ones, you just they distribute the Wi-Fi with a mesh network between themselves. So you don't have to worry about running Ethernet wires to your access points or anything else. It's super, super easy. With the new second generation and the Eero Beacon, performance is even better, and the looks are even nicer, and it's even smaller. What you need is this kind of system. Single routers are not good enough anymore. They don't cover houses. We all know that. We've all done that for years. No matter how many antennas you put on one, it doesn't cover everything. And Eero is by far the easiest way to do this I've ever seen. So check it out. They have great support if you need it. They have great pricing. Go to Eero.com and use promo code ATP to get free overnight shipping. Thanks to Eero for sponsoring our show. Anyway, uh, Rustam Karamov of uh, 1Password, I believe a co-founder, if I'm not mistaken, has uh, written a blog post to say, among other things, uh, 1Password 7th Windows will be getting support for standalone vaults, which is the thing that started the big kerfuffle a few weeks ago. Uh, Also, uh, uh, WLAN Sync and uh, different license-related information. Uh, John, any other thoughts you want to add on this? No, just that uh, this is another in the pattern we've seen for uh, a couple of of years now, like a company will change some part of its product, either the features or the business model or both. And then a bunch of people will get angry about it. And then there's always, it's always the follow-up where like they've incorporated the feedback from their customers. Like they, you know, they were 
taken by surprise by how uh you know angry people were about a particular thing and they all right well we can change that you you know to reassure people that like we're not gonna you know the subscription thing is not going to take away your ability to have all your stuff locally you don't have to use the cloud so on and so forth so looks like they are doing the right things yeah I saw a lot of feedback about this. Uh, a lot of people talked about, well, uh, if if everything goes subscription, then I'm not going to have any money for anything anymore. And I don't know. I feel like we should address that uh, perhaps again. I don't know. Did we talk about this before? I think Marco so covered ago? it the last time uh, we talked about it. I agree. It's fresh <laughs> in my it's fresh in my memory because I listened to those shows just recently to, to catch up on them. But but yeah, like I mean it. It's it's kind of a slippery slope argument, but so far it hasn't happened, and it, it there is a there's a natural counterbalance, which is well, if people don't like it, they won't buy it, and if they don't buy it, people won't do it. Like so, it's you know there's there aren't many forces in the mix here that are going to cause this dystopia to happen, despite the fact that users don't want it. Like it's possible for there to be countervailing forces. For example, if Apple said, "Hey, guess what? The only way you can sell applications in the App Store is a subscription." But that that's not the way things are. So it's not not time to be worried about it now. Don't like it, don't buy it. Exactly, exactly what I was going to say. If something uh, if something that you you like but don't love suddenly becomes subscription, then uh, guess what? You're you have an option, which is not to get a subscription. That's okay. Uh, the one thing I will say though is that the the. Uh, if if a, an app goes from not subscription to subscription, like there's no way around that that's going to happen from, from time to time. And that is tough, right? Because here it is, you thought you paid for something in some cases that that you would have for a while, although you should not have expected that you have it forever. And then the, the cost changes. And that's a bummer. Like, I don't mean to be sarcastic at all about that. That, that really is a bummer. Yeah, but there's, diff- there's different trade-offs too. Like that one person who said like, what if I, I lose my job? I don't want to also lose all my programs because I can't afford to pay their monthly bills anymore well yeah. you know that's that's the model i if, what if I lose my job i don't want to lose cable tv because i can't afford the bill anymore well you know it's like well i need the software to do my job like there presumably every single application in an entire category won't be subscription right or even if it is maybe they'll have varying subscriptions and right now the subscriptions are like three bucks a month so i feel like if you can't script together three dollars a month you have much bigger problems than not being able to use your graphics program to produce spec work which you shouldn't be doing anyway to get your next job so anyway <laughs> Uh, you know, in times of hardship, many things are difficult, uh, from paying your rent to your food, to your health insurance, uh, your software licenses are just another one of those potential things that could be a problem. But, you know, if there's a need for this, and if this is a real problem, someone will fill it by selling a program for a fixed price, uh, and, you know, selling upgrades in the traditional way or going out of business because they can't sustain their one application, but Hey, you've got it until it stops working. I mean, there's always options too. Like, you know, look at what like high school kids and college kids and people in developing countries. Like, there's a lot of markets of people who can't afford a bunch of software licenses or subscriptions, and they find other options. Piracy maybe is not the best option, uh, but it's certainly a widespread one. A much better option is free software alternatives. Almost every kind of task you can do in a computer today has some kind of free software alternative to the big name one. Photoshop, Illustrator you know, audio processing stuff, like all the, like almost all these like big creative apps or productivity apps, they almost all have freeware alternatives, free open source, um, if not just, you know, free alternatives. And not to mention, you know, the, all the stuff built into the OSs these days or doing things on, on iOS and, and Android where the apps cost very, very little money usually. And usually you, you, 
you know, buy it once, if anything, and it's free and you can do a lot of free stuff there or do a lot of inexpensive stuff there with tools that are really good these days. Like there's lots of options now. I think that I think the the like I can't afford all my software subscriptions thing is mostly a complaint from people who very much can afford them. Uh, and are just looking for a reason to be upset about a pricing change. Because <laughs> when you change the business model, that's when people get upset. It, it matters a lot less what you change it to than the fact that you changed it and people feel maybe surprised or, or caught off guard by that uh, or feel like they're being taken advantage of. Like after the fact, you're changing the deal. You know, after the fact, you know, I know, pray you don't alter it further, et cetera. I don't, again, I don't think this is a real issue. I, I don't think this is something that anybody is actually facing hardship over in any real numbers. Um, this is people complaining who very much can't afford it and and are just mad. Um, and for the people who truly can't afford it, there's lots of great options out there that are either inexpensive or free. And many of them are built into the OS you already have. And whatever isn't, you can get in your app store of choice or your online repository of software of choice uh, for very little money or, or nothing usually, because this is not like people have used computers without paying for things on them for a very long time. And this is, this is a solved problem in so many ways. All right. Uh, Jaro wants to know, is there any reason not to use the built-in calibration tools in the Apple TV? Uh, you can get to that from, uh, the Apple TV settings, audio and video calibrate. You can use them, but they're terrible. I mean, like they're, they're, they're that's not, <laughs> of course, they're not terrible. They're limited. Like I, I think it all it does is like screen bounds and maybe like one other thing. Like it doesn't do all of the color, white balance, grayscale, brightness, contrast. You know, it doesn't do all that stuff. If they want to improve that in a future version of TV, also it'd be great. But uh, the current one, and I believe the one in the uh, the betas. It's still just very limited. It's better than nothing, so by all means do it, and so you can see if you're in a Casey-like situation where you're missing half the pixels on your screen because not half, but some portion of the pixels on your screen mm-hmm. because you have your thing in overscan mode, uh, and that may make you sad to know that. But beyond that, you still need a calibration app. Fine, fine. Uh, all right. Uh, apparently, uh, Samir Mizrahi listens to our show, or at least that's what I'm going to claim. Because mere weeks, maybe even a few days after we had discussed how frustrating it is to hear the first song in your library every time you reconnect via Bluetooth, uh, this this individual has released a single on iTunes called A-A-A-A-A, Very Good Song. And I love this it so is, much. it's a little less than 10 minutes of silence because apparently any more than 10 minutes and iTunes charges you for a whole album. And the idea is because it's a space, a space, a space, a space, a space, very good song. It is very likely to be the very first song in your, in your library. So every time you plug in your phone or start Bluetooth or what have you, you don't hear the same, in my case, uh, track by Aaliyah every single time. So this is... <laughs> An absolutely brilliant solution to a problem that none of us should really have. My favorite thing about this is how far up the charts it was climbing. <laughs> like there were, we, we saw some articles about it here and there. Um, I don't have anything handy, unfortunately, because I'm a slacker on vacation. But uh, it, it, like it was, it was noticeably ranking on the iTunes top singles chart somewhere. Why did, you're not allowed to start with like a, a space or, a, you know, a punctuation character or a number or all the other things that would have sorted before the A's? Because I feel like now now this is now you've started a war now for who can be the earliest track, right? <laughs> no, don't get that AA track. You need my track, which is one, one, one. Oh, don't get mine. It's, it's space, 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 exclamation point. 
Uh, anyway, um, I feel like that's kind of like a like a million dollar homepage problem. Like it, it, anybody else who tries the same thing is is not going to get anywhere. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, 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 I'm just saying for for sorting purposes, not for like actually selling the thing. Um, but you know, everyone sent us this, obviously, but it doesn't solve the problem at all. And in fact, I think it makes it worse. The fact that it's silent makes it worse because I if if I had this track, I would be like, um, waiting and thinking. Am I hearing the silent track, or is it just taking a long time to start playing? Like, is it launching overcast in the background? Or, and like, you know, the, the the problem is not I keep hearing the first you know few notes of a song uh, because alphabet the alphabetically first song in my playlist I like it's a good song and I'm not sick of it because I never listened to the whole thing. I frustrated by the fact that it has picked the wrong source. And by the way, after I said like, oh, most of the time it does the right thing, maybe fifteen percent of the time I get the wrong thing. Uh, it, this thing has taken revenge on me in, in my last, like, 50 trips in the car. 100% of the time, it has started playing music, even if I was just playing. I don't know if it's the overcast beta is crashing, or I don't know what the hell's going on. But anyway, it's really bad for me. But Wait, there is no current beta. You should be using the App Store version. Well, maybe that's the problem. Do I have a little dot next to overcast on my phone? <laughs> Let me see. That's a bug uh, dot right I, now. I, I, do have, I do have a dot oh, next to Oh, get rid of that. Be. All right. Anyway, maybe that's my problem. But either way, this this track would not solve my problem. And I mean, what it should really be is a voice that says, "It happened again." <laughs> you you thought different audio would be playing, but instead, it's playing the song from your playlist. Pull over safely and then fiddle with your phone. Don't try to do it while you're driving because you'll you'll run somebody over or you'll die. Uh, but you'd, then you'd be sick of hearing that. Bottom line is there is no safe track to put there, and I don't think the silent one solves a problem. I think it makes it worse. But more power to this person for selling people. The sounds of silence. All right, A, I don't know how to sell music on iTunes, but can we cut that out and actually try this? And then B, the way to solve this, I know we have some listeners inside of Apple. I don't know how high up they go, but the way to solve this is to somehow get a hold of Johnny Ives or Tim Cook's iPhone and sync a single track to it that is a renamed version of some very annoying song that is renamed to be like A, 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 A. So maybe, I don't know... The, the 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 possibilities are endless of what song this could be. You know something, something really that would really drive the most. This problem will get solved in the next version of iOS. <laughs> Phil's car will just be can't innovate more my ass on a loop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! So we actually did get some feedback about this, and uh, this individual write, wrote to say. Uh, Bluetooth has two major ways to start playback in a car. The good old simple play command and a newer set of advanced browsing commands that allows the car to control the apps and navigate the media library on the phone. With a play command, the active media player is chosen by the phone, and that from time to time gets a little buggy. Um, According to this person, it is quite likely that this whole little subsystem was written by one person who may have then been moved somewhere else within Apple, and who even knows. Uh, But with the new browsing stuff then the car can decide how it wants to select, you know, like the active media player and, and a playlist and an album and blah, blah, blah. And so now you're letting the car make choices that it probably shouldn't be making. And so that makes everything a little bit dodgy. So this is 
this is surely in part Apple's fault, but it is not by necessity entirely Apple's fault, depending on the car, depending on how it's connecting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're sponsored this week by Aftershocks, bone conduction headphones. Go to atp.aftershocks.com to learn more. Aftershocks headphones work by bone conduction, so these small transducers rest in front of your ears, not inside or around them like most headphones, and they send mini vibrations through your cheekbones directly to your inner ear. It totally bypasses your ears and your eardrums. So unlike every other kind of headphone, bone conduction leaves your ears completely open with nothing in them. So for a lot of people like me, we can't wear earbuds or in-ear monitors because they get physically uncomfortable in our ear canals. Aftershocks don't have this problem because nothing is sitting in your ear. And because they don't cover your ear, I find them far less sweaty than regular headphones in the summertime. Uh, and they're even IP, IP55 certified for water resistance. So you can, you can run with them in the rain or you can just sweat all over them all gross and it's totally fine. <laughs> I have found that I use these more than any other headphones in the summertime. In fact, I'm on vacation right now for a few weeks, and I brought only these headphones for walking. All other portable headphones I've left at home because I will. I only want to use these here because I'm walking a lot. I'm using these multiple hours a day. I'm sweating a lot. I'm sometimes using them in the rain, and it's totally fine. And the great thing about it is that because nothing blocks your ears at all, you hear the whole world around you. So you can be walking or you know, maybe cycling or running where you really want to hear the world around you for safety reasons or just to enjoy it. And you need something that doesn't block your ear. And that's what bone conduction is great at. Uh, it's also great if you want to listen around the house. You know, If you want to like take a phone call, because you know, these are obviously Bluetooth, they can do phone calls. If you want to take a phone call with them and maybe you want to hear if anything happens in your house in the process, you can do that too. And so if I'm honest, the downsides here are they're not the best for sound quality and they don't get very loud. If you're in a very loud environment because they're so open to the world, if you're in like a, like a subway station, these wouldn't be the pick for you. But they're amazing for walking around outside, for any kind of exercise use, for around the house, and anywhere, anything you want, you want to hear the world around you, that's where the Aftershocks are great. And again, they're so awesome for minimizing sweatiness too. So the Aftershocks Trex Titanium that I use here retails for 130 bucks. Listeners can get, can get a pair for yourself for just $100, $99.95, by visiting atp.aftershocks.com. That is atp.aftershocks.com. Thanks to Aftershocks for sponsoring our show. Uh, apparently, Ask ATP is really a thing. Uh, you were, you, John, I think you had said you wanted it to be a thing, and Marco, you might have said the same. All right. It, it, apparently, it's a thing. Well, the question is, where does it go? Does it go after follow-up, or does it go after topics? Or does it go in the after show? Where does it go? No, I think it goes after follow-up. Yeah, this sounds I good. That's, I think that was right. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's going to... Well, you always don't want to keep us away from our topics. If we have a long Ask ATP, well, we're, well, we're even less likely to get to topics. You know what we could do, do John? Now, now, stick with me here. I know this is wild. <laughs> but we could we could have a little bit less follow-up. We just did. We just did do that. Uh, are you sure? We've been recording 45 minutes. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't add an item about talking about bit depth for 20 minutes. That was Marco. That wasn't 20 minutes. Anyway, Kane asks, uh, how do you guys sync your home directories between your Macs? And uh, I will go first. I don't. Uh, I use Dropbox for a handful of things, but generally speaking, it's all in the cloud, man. So who cares? Same. Yeah, I don't think my home directory. That's not a, that's not a thing. I mean, I, I doubt many people do that. I think there used to be a way to 
no, that was, I'm thinking of the server thing. Never mind. Anyway, uh, what people do is they just use cloud stuff, whether it's iCloud Drive or Dropbox, and that's the stuff that syncs, but they don't sync their entire home directories. And it probably wouldn't be a good idea to sync your entire home directories because probably in the library directory in your home directory, there's crap that is machine-specific somewhere lurking in there. So you probably don't want to do a naive full sync of your entire home directory. Uh, and in general, sync is really hard to get right, and don't try to set up something yourself to do it because you'll just end up hosing yourself and you'll be sad. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, this is a truly great question, which outside of the obvious, I don't have a really good answer to. So the question is from, uh, let me get a full name if I can, Peter Cam. Uh, Peter Cam asks, what's one piece of old tech that is still in use, not hidden in, a, in an attic? And I think he's really talking to you, John, uh, due to superior <laughs> qualities or retro joy. So, for example, CRT TV old video game consoles, iPods, etc. cetera. Uh, I will start again. Uh, the obvious answer to this is that I have a turntable that I still use almost daily. However, um, I just received that turntable as a Christmas present, and it was brand new at the time. So uh, it, is, it is old technology. However, it is a new device. In terms of old technology that's still in use, I, I can't think of anything offhand. I'm sure there's something. I, I'm not debating that I have something barbaric and old that i still use but darned if i can think of what it would be so uh, marco went first last time john anything old that's outside of your attic i was gonna say my plasma tv but it's not superior quality anymore it's not retro joy so i guess that's probably just the example of something old uh my consoles are probably it i have a bunch of old consoles hooked up um journey on ps4 helps me not have to use my ps3 for that but if i want to play ego or shadow of the colossus i still have to use the ps3 so it is still connected to my tv uh, there's going to be a PS4 port of Shadow of the Colossus, leaving only Eco. Like, the, my PS3 is hanging on. Um, same thing with my Wii, which is basically used to play GameCube games most of the time. Uh, almost all my old consoles are still hooked up. It's kind of going to be a shame when I eventually get a 4K TV, because I doubt the 4K TV will have component video input to which I can connect my uh, GameCube, so I'd have to buy some kind of adapter, and then I'd probably go, eh, don't even bother, right? Same thing with the Wii. I have, uh, Wii's uh, got component video going into my TV. Um, I would have to buy an adapter for that as well. Uh, but for now, yeah, I got a lot of old consoles hooked up. You know, I should point out that uh, Mark, Marco is probably going to say the same thing I, I forgot about, which is I do have a mechanical watch that is also not terribly old, but I do like using it when I'm dressing up for something special. Uh, so now that I've stolen your thunder, Marco, what about you? Honestly, that was that was what I was thinking of as, as like the, the best thing I could say here. Most of the things that I use... Um, are you know like I the things that I that I use that are actually like quote old in tech terms are not old enough to be interesting. So like I'll have like you know like an old speaker amp that you know for for my desk or something, but that's like you know old a desktop an old desktop computer speaker amp being like six years old. You know or like for a while I was using a uh, my 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 first Fujitsu ScanSnap scanner, um, which I got about nine years ago. But I actually replaced that about last year because it, I was tired of replacing the rollers and the new ones were super fast. And so I just got a new one. Um, yeah, for me, I think the best answer here is mechanical watches. Um, it's it's not a very interesting answer and it's not a new answer for people who have heard me talk ever. Uh, so it's, that's why I kind of wanted I, I wanted to go with something better, uh, but I was not able to. Um, I do have mechanical watches that are somewhat old. Um, my oldest one is from 1968, so that's fairly old. Um, so I guess that counts. 
Awesome. And that's the end of Ask ATP for this week. So uh, <laughs> let's move on to some topics. Johnny, you really going to let me get away with this? So, so fast. It's a really quick one. It's a really quick one. That's, a, that's another question. How many questions did we do? I just did three because that's how many I could put before I ran out of time before the show. So Chris Johnson, thank you, Chris, writes in blah, blah, Destiny 2, blah, blah, blah. Try again. Which Destiny 2 class and subclass will you start with? Marco, you want to take that? <laughs> hmm. um, how about uh, NS Object? And uh, let's see, subclass <laughs> would be, um, how about NS Mutable Set? I like that one a lot. Uh, you need to get, get on with the Swift Foundation <laughs> classes here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they dropped the NS prefix a while ago, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do, I, I, I was a Warlock main in Destiny 1. I, I barely, I had a Titan that my son played and a Hunter that I barely played. I did level the, the Titan and Hunter up, so they will be ported over to Destiny 2 along with my Warlock, but I'm going to be Warlock main in Destiny 2, and I'm probably going to start with Dawnblade because it's the new one. Was any of that English? Because it didn't sound like it. People know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First episode of Ask ATP, a rousing success. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, no one else remembered about the, top, the thing and i had to rush to get the things in there in between trying to get my kids and my dog settled down before the show feel free to i'm pulling from that same sheet feel free to pull your own questions in there and throw them in the little section you know the right answer which will never work but the rightest answer is for each of us to pull our favorite question each week but i guarantee marco will forget and or not care and i give myself one chance in three of actually remembering. <laughs> well, in the absence of anybody else, I will pull questions and throw them in there. But, you know, I mean, we wouldn't have the section at all if I hadn't remembered it. So <laughs> it's true. Uh, where would we be without you, John? And speaking of, uh, John, tell us about this uh, kerfuffle with uh, Google and this diversity memo, which I'm not sure is even the right way to describe it. Yeah, this is old, kind of old news by now, but we haven't recorded in a long time. And there, in, in the world of... Uh, politics and discrimination there is newer news but it is uh not really tech related but this certainly is tech related uh it's a story that everybody probably knows by now a google employee wrote i don't know why they call it a memo i guess it's the old parlance wrote a big thing sort of talking uh, to google internally uh saying we're all googlers here uh here's what i think about what the company's doing and here's my opinion on it so on and so forth and it caused a big stink um we will put a link to the document in the show notes on the off chance that you haven't already read it it's not that long we're like oh it's 10 pages in the grand scheme of things it's not that long uh because we don't have pages on the web you just scroll um and also what we'll have in the show notes are what i think are some of the best responses to the google thing uh so anyway the getting back to the story here being uh chief summarizer in chief and in lieu of casey doing this um uh the upshot is that uh, the person who wrote this was fired uh because it contained i forget what the phrasing was but uh, it contained a bunch of uh ideas and opinions that are counter to the way google operates and then people are angry that the person got fired and people argued on the internet about it and so on and so forth again uh this is a well-covered story and i feel like if you don't know what we're talking about or don't or have only read one or two things about it just read you know the five links that we put in there i feel like you will have covered the range of what people how people are reacting to it but on this show what i wanted to talk about you guys can feel free to take whatever angle you want on this thing um is the idea that people dismissed 
the memo that people like read it and were just didn't didn't address it at all didn't take it seriously they just dismissed it out of hand and a lot of people were angry about that that like why won't you engage with this why won't you talk about the ideas lots of yelling about like someone said something bad about it but you didn't even talk about any of the points that are in the memo like why why are you being so dismissive and I understand where people are coming from with that, but I think there is an explanation and it's a frustrating explanation, but it's something, uh, you know, you encounter again and again. Um, nothing, uh, when I read that memo, nothing in it was new because I'd seen every idea put forward in the memo many, many times before, because it, there weren't a lot of new, I there weren't any new ideas in there. Everything in there is something that someone else has said in a very similar form, many, 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 many times in the past. And if you enter any field, whatever it is, whether it's woodworking, programming, diversity, whatever it is, and you lay out all your opinions, but you are not an expert in the field, chance, especially if you say something controversial or you're addressing some point that is a point of contention, chances are very good that the people who have been arguing about the same topic and who have studied this topic and, and you know, are just like are well-versed in this topic, chances are very good that they've heard everything you're going to say before, and they've argued about it amongst themselves for years and years and years. And so when you come out with this thing and they roll their eyes and dismiss you, it's because to them, it's like the 900th time someone is saying the exact same things, and they've already been discussed. But from the outside, it's like, well, how? why are you not addressing my points? I feel like I have important things to say here, and how can, like, it's how can you just dismiss me? It's not a valid argument. Obviously, I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm right and you're just afraid to address my blah, blah, blah. This is going to happen no matter what the topic is. Uh, and, I mean, in, in some ways you have to recognize, like, where you are on the uh, in the range of knowledge about this topic. Am I, you know, do I have a PhD in this topic? Have I studied this topic for 50 years and am well-versed in all the literature? And, like, or am I just somebody who thought about this for the past year or two and has some ideas, like... You're never, you know, it, and, and maybe you can say they shouldn't dismiss me. And what they should do is if someone is a novice and says something that's been said before, then please tell me point by laborious point, bring <laughs> me up to speed on the state of the art in this area of study. That's not a reasonable request because then it's like everybody who stumbles into a math forum and says, I just think I've, you know, what about this? And have you guys ever thought of that? They got to teach you all the math you need to know to get up to the point where you realize the thing that you're saying has been discussed many times before and like either proven or disproven or hear the different, you know, like it's that's not a valid position. I know a little bit about something and I have an opinion and here's this thing. And they're like, oh, well, we've seen people say that thing a million times. and We've already discussed it amongst ourselves and we already know what everyone else in the field thinks about this. We don't have time to bring you up to speed on the, this entire field of study. And that feels like you're being dismissed. And so I understand why people are angry. The, the guy who wrote it's angry about being dismissed. People who sympathize with what is in the thing are angry that that uh, this thing is dismissed. They feel like, you know, you, you know, whatever. It's being silenced. No one's taking him seriously, whatever. Now, first of all, that's like that that's an initial reaction. But second, all these links in the show notes show that that's not true. That some some poor people went there and just went point by laborious point and tried mightily to explain, and these aren't even experts in the field for the most part. These are just people who happen to know a little bit more 
or have a little bit clearer, uh, you know, train of thinking about this, or really just even if they have no expertise in the field, but have been around the block a few times and have argued on the internet a few times, they can say, listen, I don't even know anything about this subject, but I can tell you, memo writer, that you have no idea what you're doing. Like you, <laughs> you know, that even without knowing anything about this topic, I can see that your points don't connect and you're doing a bad job arguing this. And again, if you if you argued on Usenet in the 90s, if you argued in person in, you know, college campuses in the 80s and 70s and 60s, like, you know the person who wrote this memo. You know their thinking. You know what they're saying. You you recognize uh, their, their enthusiasm and fervor. And, like, it just... This is the thing about getting old. Like, you, everything slows down and your hearing goes bad and your eyes get worse and <laughs> just all sorts of bad things happen. But there's something to that wisdom thing. I mean, not wisdom, maybe it's just experience. Like, that's why in all sorts of sci-fi things when there's some really old creature, like, they're always just like, ugh. <laughs> it's like, you've seen it all, right? Um, and I know that's, like, the worst thing. It's like, you know, th- that that itself is a logical fallacy. Like, of you know... You know appeal to authority or you should trust me because i know a lot about this topic but but it's not what it is it's more like just exhaustion like if pressed if the fate of the universe depended on it experts in the field could take this person into a room and over the course of the next 20 years educate them to the point where they understand what is wrong with this memo right and, and i feel like that should be the goal of a, a lot of you know if, if you trust that this is the case and i'm not just like blowing smoke beer but that <laughs> the goal the goal should be like if you if you, if you read this memo and you think that there are some good solid points in there your goal should be to uh learn more about it till until you get on the same page with everyone else who sees this for what it is or learn so much about it that you actually reveal the real truth of it that nobody knows right but i can tell you this memo is not the real truth of it that nobody knows because this memo are the same tired ideas that have been discussed again and again and again by people in every single field related to this right um, and that, like, I, and again, this, this is the, the meta point and people like, they don't want to hear it and there's no way to convince them of it. And I'm not, I'm not really here to convince people that this is the case, but like, that's why people get angry about it. That's why it feels frustrating. And I want, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from the topic itself because I want people to understand this is going to be true when you come in and tell people about a particular kind of glue for putting together remote control boats and the remote control boat builders had discussions about this kind of glue 50 years ago. And they just roll their eyes and be like, look, I know it seems like that kind of glue is the kind of glue you want to use. And I know you have a lot of information that you think supports your idea that, that kind of glue is, the, 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 trust me, we've been debating this glue for 50 years. And 25 years ago, we all came to this conclusion. And we revisit this topic from time to time to see if things have changed, but they haven't. And you're wrong. And we don't have time to explain to you laboriously. And again, glue for model boats is much simpler than this topic, right? So that's that's my reaction as a tired old person who's beaten down by even worse things happening in, in the world, right? That I see this, I see the young person who is writing it. I know where that person is coming from. Uh, I know that person and I, I've seen, you know, these exact arguments on these exact specific topics. And it is depressing to have to have this argument again. It's depressing that this these tired ideas get any kind of traction. And yet people go out of their way to do the hard work to explain to this person and to anybody who reads this and, you know, like to explain to the world, like, you know, isn't that your job to educate me about blah, blah, not really, but we're going to do it anyway, because we know it's, you know, it's, it's, 
we have to do something. We can't just let it stand as it is. So many, many people did, you know, tried to explain what's wrong with this. And I'm not going to try to explain it here because I feel like the problem with this topic a lot of times on the show is, and, and any kind of podcast like this is, I think what I described in the hypercritical days as having a slow motion argument with the internet, a one-sided slow motion argument with the internet <laughs> where you'll say a bunch of stuff, but there's no one on the show who actually is there to disagree with you. So you can't actually have a debate. So you have to debate the hypothetical person who's out there and then you you put the show, podcast out into the world and then you wait a week and a bunch of people reply and say that's not what i think at all actually i think xyz and then you debate those people's feedback but then you but then what about people who don't care about the topic anymore it's just it's impossible to have a slow motion debate with with a hypothetical person so that's why i'm i'm trying to take this meta and also because like i said i think there's some really good articles about this and to be clear uh this this manifesto is totally bogus uh, the uh, the ideas embodied in it are are not the right ideas they are just you know it's explicable by all of the 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 the, the sort of they're, they're explicable by the experiences and, and the biases that the person who wrote it is bound to have had and so I think this is a learning opportunity for everybody involved. Why did he get fired? Do you think you should have been fired? That's the, I guess, the controversy thing. Uh, yeah, I don't see how you can't fire him because how can you have an employee in your company who thinks women on average are genetically less capable than men to do the job? Like, how can you have that person doing performance reviews or leading a team of people? Like, how can you have that? Like, if that's in people's secret hearts and you don't know about it, fine. But if someone comes out and says, this is what I believe, you can't have that person doing performance reviews for women. What are you going to do is have a segregated company and then segregate by everybody's biases, right? And never mind that, you know, these are all at-will employees. They can be fired for pretty much every reason, any reason. And, uh, you know, misogyny is not a protected class. Like, it's an idea. It's not like he's <laughs> like being fired because he's a pregnant woman, right? Like, yeah, like, this is... Guess what? If you, if you uh, call your boss a jerk every day and give him the finger, you're also going to get fired. Because people who call their <laughs> boss a jerk and give him the finger are not a protected class. Like, there are so many things you can get fi- do to get fired. This, of all the things, at least is, like, pretty high-minded in terms of things you're getting fired for. Believe me, you can get fired for way stupider stuff because that's the way employment works. Uh, and so, but yeah, like, there's, yeah, you, you have to fire. And in fact, it's, they probably should have been fired faster, but I'm sure you got to go through all the legal things or whatever. Um so anyway, I, I think I'm um, I'm starting to get into the realm of where I'm going to start having a slow motion argument with the internet. I don't want to do that. Uh, what do you two have to say about this? I have very little to add because you just did a really good job of covering it. And I also don't want to get into the slow motion argument with the internet. Um, yeah. The common people's grasp on what free speech protects them from is about as good as their grasp on fair use and copyright. Which is not that good. No copy intended. No copyright intended, Marco. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I would, uh, before making an argument about free speech, uh, I would investigate with some basic research what free speech actually gets you and what it is actually an assurance of what it actually means and what it doesn't mean. And, yeah, John, I think you quoted it very well. I, I, I have to admit I did not fully read um james's memo or whatever it was manifesto whatever it was you know life is short and i could tell pretty pretty soon into it that this was not going to be worth the the time that i was going to spend reading it so i didn't um i decided yep. to do anything else with my time besides read this honestly um rear end openings uh memo on what he thinks about people um so i i decided not to yep same here he, he provided a summary at the top although he called it a tldr because he's a millennial but yeah, the sum the summary at the top, like you don't have to read the ten pages. Read the five 
six point summary or whatever it, it's a it is a fit i mean he wrote the summary himself it is a fair encapsulation of the points made in the things you can look at only the summary and see yep no i've seen this idiot before yep i understand where he's coming from <laughs> yeah no I, I i i got about that far and then i was like yeah this is and then once i thought that was the memo and then once i saw that was simply the summary i was like oh my god close tab <laughs> that's, that's it i'm done <laughs> um and I, I would also say that i think it's worth it's worth Google doing some introspection here about their own culture and, and about what is it about Google's culture that would hire somebody who holds these ideas, that would foster someone's intellectual development who would hold these ideas, and that would, that would make somebody think that it would be a good idea and would not get them fired to actually write this and circulate this within the company. Like That reveals, I think, cultural problems in that company. Which should be a surprise to nobody, but it should reveal some good aspects of culture too. Because the fact that he felt like he could say this shows that they have a culture where people feel like they can express themselves. Now, again, like a, a culture where you can express yourselves doesn't mean you could say, "You know what? I think we should eat babies and be surprised when people like gasp." Right? <laughs> Get back to the baby eating. Right? It's good to have an open culture, but you also have to be aware of you know what people might think of what you say, right? And a lot of companies, people would be afraid to say anything remotely about controversial about like any HR policy. Like, you know, the HR policy is like, for example, imagine Apple getting the Apple Park thing. Like, oh, people aren't going to have as many offices, right? If Apple had a culture where everybody was terrified to make any kind of complaint about, hey, I kind of wish we still had offices. I don't want to be in open office space, right? That would be a bad company culture. You want to have a company culture where if people are super pissed about not having an office, they feel like they can say, hey, I don't want to lose my office, Apple. I don't like the new Apple Park and complain, right? Because that and just being a general adult in the world, you could understand if you do it in a constructive way, this is a, a reasonable avenue of feedback within the company. And a good company culture encourages people to do that because you don't want them to be secretly hating you and then quitting like you want. You want to hear what the employees have to say. But if their complaint is, I don't want to work next to a woman, you should at least be aware enough to know if you say that, they're going to get rid of you because you can't have an employee like that. It's like, how is that any different from, from offices? If you can't see the difference, like, start there. Like, figure out what's different about saying, I prefer offices to cubicles versus I can't be next to a woman when I work. Like, figure it out. Like, work on it. Like, I feel, you know, that was one of my first and only comments about this, which is snarky granted, but, you know, I'm allowed some snark on Twitter. It was like uh, the, the irony of, of someone at Google writing this memo who so clearly has not even done the most cursory Google search on the topic. It's like, no, he's done Google searches. Look at all these things he's citing. Like, no, I mean, actually, you know, actually learning about the topic. Like, Google's right there. You can Google yourself every one of these points and find, you know, everything about them and why they're BS, like, everywhere. Instead, the only thing he Googled for was, you know, cherry-picked things that that he thinks supports his ideas and that, that he can string together into this completely broken chain of logic and you know anyway i don't, I don't want to go to you can read the links to, to learn stuff but like but it's right there like no time has it been easier for you to educate yourself about this topic without having to be led by the nose by people more versed in the field like everything's right there the person works for google uh and it just you know that that just blew my mind that you know sort of the the incuriosity and the being content to, and you know as, as the economist response that one of the links will put in there the, the motivated reasoning like that no amount of access to the world's information can avoid that 
Yeah. The thing that struck me about this was the little bit of feedback we got about it, which was a couple of people saying, please don't talk about this. But here's some anonymous feedback about why I think this guy was on the money. This was amazing to me. This was like we actually got multiple pieces of feedback about from people who were basically yelling at us in support of this James Hole before we ever talked about it. Right, right. It just happened, and they knew in the future there would be an episode of ATP recorded, and people said, I know you're going to want to talk about this, but don't. Well, we did. Sorry. <laughs> here's you don't talk about this but here's what i think and and you know if anyone thinks otherwise that's just that that's them silencing us yada 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 blah 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 it was it was more than well the thing was if it was just one individual okay fine but this happened two or three times and it was the same thing both times please guys don't talk about this but if you do you should consider the following yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and by the way unreal. to be clear the, the, my example of like uh the difference between i like offices instead of cubes versus i can't work next to a woman neither one of those things is in the memo i'm giving hypothetical examples to to understand different classes of things that you might want feedback again but uh, actually getting back to marco's point like i think i think the fact that this person felt free to say this is a good reflection on google's culture of letting people feel like they are free to give feedback the fact that this particular you know that are allowed to have open discussions the content of this shows it doesn't reflect poorly on Google other than their hiring practices or not being aware that this is this is happening. And, and you know, like this is on the person who wrote the thing, not so much on Google. If you want to place blame on it, it's not the culture that let him post the memo, because that is more of just sort of like lack of self-awareness, you know, not understanding of the, that other people exist in the world and how they might react to what you have to say. <laughs> right. Um but this is true of a lot of tech companies. You know, if the interview was all uh, coding on a whiteboard and uh, you know solving brain teasers and making sure you had a good education and making sure you are reasonably personable and polite, and then most critically, making sure that the people who you interview with say, "Oh yeah, I could work with this person." Yeah, this seems like a person because you'll people will say, "Oh, I could work with this person. He's just like me." I'm. <laughs> I am a dude who is a CS major who likes video games and blah blah blah. Yeah, no, like if that's all there is in your interview is technical stuff and and uh, brain teasers and education and work history and do you feel like you could work with this person? It's very easy to get into you know speaking of echo chamber, which is one of the complaints. This thing it's very easy to get into a situation where people hire other people that they're comfortable with, um, and so you may never dig deeper to say, oh, and by the way. Again, this is not in the memo. This is my silly example that's supposed to make you, you know, realize. Anyway, uh, would you have any problem working on a team with a woman? I, maybe you can't ask that legally. I don't even know. Like, there's all sorts of weird things about hiring what you can and can't ask. But um, figuring that out, like, if the person says, oh, I would never work on a team with a woman. Don't, don't, hire, don't hire that person. Right? Don't hire that person. Uh, and if you never figure out. That that's and again that's not that's not what this person said. I'm trying to give an extreme example. I know people get confused by that. Like this is a hypothetical extreme example, right? If you're not sort figuring that out, if you don't have an interview process that weeds that out, uh, you'll never have a chance of weeding out the much more subtle things, which is like maybe this person has some uh, slightly uh, less well examined ideas about <laughs> gender and diversity. And, and again, like. I don't, I don't think this person is super terrible. Well, I heard they were vaguely involved in Gamergate, but who knows? I'm not, I haven't been following this. But anyway, um, I think the ideas in this memo are ideas that a lot of smart uh, uh, 
white dudes basically <laughs> who have never faced any sort of uh, uh, oppression based on uh, their uh, gender or race um, end up having not because they're bad people or they're evil or whatever but it's like again there's a reason all these ideas have come up before it is kind of, it's not it's not a logical conclusion but it's like you find yourself going down these alleys you find yourself having these thoughts you find yourself coming to these conclusions and especially if you have a slightly uh rebellious bent like you, there is something for you to rebel against which is all these this diversity ideas and like it just there's a reason it's common i don't i don't think these people this person is you know an aberration or a terrible person it's just they're they have they have some things to learn they have some living to do they have some experience to gain and it you are able to get that experience and live that life and learn and change because most people who are on the other side of this started out somewhere more like the, this memo writer and changed and learned things like that they're not born like oh i'm a perfect angel from the beginning and i know everything and i don't have any prejudices and bias no especially if they're they are sim- have similar backgrounds to this person they had to walk that same road and figure things out and stick their foot in the mouth and do stupid stuff and learn things the hard way right no we're not super enlightened wonderful we know everything in the beginning like my hope for this person is that he grows and evolves and you know comes you know that did he, did he people it's mean to say that he grows up but like that's part it's not he's an already an adult but you know just you don't stop growing up when you become quote unquote an adult you you keep growing up throughout your whole life hopefully uh, and that's that's my hope for this person we are sponsored this week by fracture who prints your photos in vivid color on great little minimal sheets of glass visit fractureme.com slash podcast and mention atp so they know that you came from here fracture is a photo decor company they want to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether of these facebook and instagram and other social feeds where you put your pictures up there and then they're just gone after like a day and you never see them again get those photos printed and hang them in your house or put them in your office or give them as gifts they make amazing gifts they have these awesome glass prints They print directly onto the glass, and they have a laser-cut rigid backing, so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include the wall anchor. All you have to do is upload your photo and pick your size. It is that simple. And the fracture printing process really makes the color and contrast pop, and the sleek, frameless design really lets your photos stand out. There's no frame needed. You don't have to get them framed. They are their own standalone thing, and they really fit in very nicely with any decorating style. So bring special memories to life, give them as unique gifts for friends or family, or just decorate your home with the moments that tell your story. Fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're sure to love your order, and each Fracture print is handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S. source materials in a carbon-neutral factory, so you can feel good about it. And we have Fractures all over our house. In fact, right now we're on vacation. I kind of miss the Fractures. I think we should order a few more for here. This, this place could really use it. I think, I think that's what I'm going to do after, after this week's podcast. I'm going to go order some Fractures because we need some stuff on the walls here. That's, that's more us. So really make your moments visible in your home. It's really wonderful. And again, they make wonderful gifts. For more information and 10% off your first order, visit FractureMe.com slash podcast. That lists podcasts there, and you will tell them which one you heard from. Tell them ATP, because we're the best. Let's be honest here. It helps support the show, and it tells them that you came from here. So FractureMe.com slash podcast. Don't forget to pick ATP in the survey there. And once again, thank you very much to Fracture for sponsoring our show. Apple apparently has said they're budgeting a billion dollars, that's B, one billion, for original TV shows and movies. Because uh, 
apparently that's a thing we need. So I'm not sure what to make of this. Like in and of itself, I have no issues with Apple trying to get into the content busy uh, business. Excuse me. Um, but uh, it's, so far, they have not shown us that they're terribly good at doing this sort of thing. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What, Marco, what do you think about this? So w- with the actual budget and like how it compares to other services and everything, people have commentary on whether this is enough money, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the business of TV and movie production to even know what this buys you. All I do know is that so far, Apple's original content for video, which for some reason appears on Apple Music, is bizarre at best and mostly pretty bad. Whatever has caused them to produce what they've produced so far, I think is the same thing that caused them to do the uh, whole like, you know, U2 finger touch thing and then shoving Songs of Innocence into everyone's libraries. And, you know, it's like they seem to have this like most of what they make is pretty cool and is pretty well considered. And then there's like this certain like blind spot that they get around certain types of content or celebrity things, which, which everything they make seems to be profoundly uncool and just fall on its face. Uh, A lot of the various like, you know, celebrity tie-ins they've done um, much of the efforts they've tried to do around Apple music. um, Sometimes like the weird intro videos to the conferences, stuff like that. Like, a lot of this stuff just, just seems profoundly uncool and just flops. Certainly, I think Planet of the Apps qualifies big time for that list. And I, I, I suspect the Carpool Karaoke version they're doing, I, while I haven't seen it, the early impressions of it are similarly not very positive. So I, whatever is, is causing these things to, to be greenlit and to then be terrible, I hope they figure this out and fix that. For Apple to become a company that represents bad content, I think that hurts the whole brand. So it's a big risk they're taking here. And so far, it seems like it's not paying off at all. So far, it seems like it's actually harming them. If they do it right, it could be great. They could be, you know, they could produce things as good as what Netflix and Amazon and HBO are making. Like, they could make great original content. But they've made such bad original content so far that it's it's just kind of hard to see how they get from here to there. I think the last time we talked about this, I made the same point because I, I found it occurring to me again. I'm like, oh, I think I talked about that already. But like, if you if you fund content, uh, you shouldn't like, other than some vague sort of overarching theme like Disney in general makes kind of family friendly stuff. Um, you shouldn't be influencing the things that you make. So everything that Apple makes doesn't have to be an Apple thing. Obviously, Planet of the Apps is super Apple. Carpool karaoke, not really aptly. Um, so that's that's an okay one. But you know, HBO makes all sorts of shows. They make western, sci-fi, fantasy, drama, like just comedies, stand-up comedy specials, documentaries. Like you know, insofar as there is an HBO brand, the brand is good television for adults, right? Disney is like family-friendly stuff. Marvel is you know, uh, it's got superhero movies like Star, the Star Wars. Like just like there, there are overarching brands for things. But in general, you don't want Apple to make like Apple stuff. Uh, and that that is uh, something they have to get out from under because almost everything Apple does is an Apple thing. And if you're making content, you have to basically just be the money people. Here's a big bucket <laughs> of money. Then get a bunch of people who know how to find talent and, you know, develop the shows. And that's what they're doing. They hired a bunch of people who had previously 
done this same job for for other people like uh, they hired the guy from sony television or something that has had a bunch of things under his belt and they hired somebody else like it's a, it's a different kind of business and it's not an easy business because it's like how you know how do i know what's the next breaking bad and what's the next planet of the apps like can i tell the difference between those two when they're being pitched to me right if if i get a pitch for the next breaking bad can i actually develop it give them the right amount of money and get the right talent involved like you know it this was said about the phone business apple's not just going to walk in the entertainment business is a similarly difficult problem but it's much farther from apple's wheelhouse and apple can't use all its old tricks of we're going to build every show like we do an Apple product. Nope, nope. The shows can't be an Apple product. Some shows have to be the opposite of an Apple product. They have to be, you know, uh, you know, intense and involve sex and violence, or they have to be goofy comedies, uh, you know, or like things that just don't fit in the Apple way. Um, and again, you can have a brand. You can be, a, you know like Disney or like Pixar and have a brand and, and put everything under that umbrella. But its competitors brands are in general content that wouldn't air on network television, expensive television made for adults. So that's, that's kind of what Amazon and Netflix and HBO have been doing. They're all spending more money on it than Apple still, which is fine. Like Apple's just getting started. You know, Netflix's budget is 7 billion compared to Apple's budget of 1 billion. I think that's fine. Apple should not be putting $7 billion towards something it doesn't know how to do yet, right? So you, you know, figure out how to do it. Um, Amazon's $4.5 billion. These are, most of these are estimates from this article we'll link in the show notes. And HBO is $2 billion. Um, HBO's got a lot of bang for its buck because they, they, they apparently really know how to develop shows. They don't make a lot of shows, but the ones they make they have a pretty good hit ratio, and their hits are really big hits. I mean, they've been um, doing it for quite some time. Like They, they developed the skill over a very long time. Yeah, and and you know it's it's a set it's you know it's people it's a, it's sets different people who know different people who know how to get things developed know what to buy what not to buy know how to make sure that the things produced in the same way that Apple knows how to like oh I have an idea for a product but how do I make that product what people do I need to make that product a reality so that it actually works and what partners do I have to do like it's a difficult business um getting back to the the, the broader issue of this thing like the reason Apple is doing this as we've discussed in the past is. If Apple wants to be in this business of selling you video over the internet, everybody else is doing it. Uh, it is an important differentiator. Like eventually, if everybody else has original content, like this is why I get Hulu, this is why I get Netflix, like because of these specific shows, and Apple doesn't have any of those, it has no more differentiator. Like other than oh, I bought a bunch of movies on iTunes, and unless I go and and you know remove the DRM on them, I need I need an Apple TV to. Uh, to view them very quickly these streaming services are have stopped being differentiated by the fact that wow i can watch a video over the internet because they, they can all do that and they all have clients this is nothing they'll have clients everywhere this is a question someone had on twitter uh i think maybe directed at us or maybe someone else is like am, am i gonna need an apple tv to watch this original tv content or will i be able to watch it not on an apple tv could i watch it in a web browser could i you know could i watch it is it built into my television and the answer so far is Apple's, Apple's been like, well, no, you can watch it on your iPad, your iPhone, and your Apple TV. No place else can you watch it. It's not built into your TV. You can't watch it from a web browser. You can't watch it in Windows. And it's like, what? Nobody else is doing that. If you want to watch Netflix, you can watch it everywhere. You can watch Netflix on your on your wristwatch. On, and, you know, it's it's everywhere. Nothing doesn't have Netflix on it. That's the strategy you need to do if you want to compete. So uh, that's the other thing I'm looking for is, will Apple 
go iPod on this and say, yes, we're going to make the iPod for Windows. Yes, we're going to let you watch whatever they're going to. And they have to divorce it from Apple Music, obviously, too, because it's silly to continue with that charade, right? Um, if they really want to, to to play with their big competitors, Netflix, Amazon, and HBO, Hulu, everybody else who's got some kind of, is funding some kind of original content, table stakes is I can view it anywhere I want. Um, and the original content is actually worth getting the service for, and they've got a long way to go to get there. Uh, someone pointed out that maybe you can watch it on iTunes and Windows. Probably true, <laughs> but if iTunes and Windows is probably not the ideal viewing experience, and we're all rooting for iTunes to die anyway, right? I feel like this is one of those things, too, like, for for this to succeed, you have to really go all in on it. You have to really, like, you know, like you were like saying, like, you this right now it seems like these original content efforts are just these kind of like side projects that are a little bit promoted a little bit funded a little bit prioritized and they're kind of these things that that are made to try to boost apple music buzz and subscriptions which is totally wrong like that's not how you compete in the music space you don't compete there with video services that with with a two or three original content lines like that's not at all how that works but I feel like if Apple really wants to do this, really do it. Like, really go all in, make it a big thing, maybe buy somebody like Netflix or HBO or something. Like, really go all out and really do it. I just, I don't see the value in kind of kind of half-butting it like they've been doing seemingly so far. Like, why do a little bit of this kind of buried in this product that no one's looking for video in? Either don't do it or do it right. I think it's maybe like a slow start. Like, I don't know what the budget was before, but again, $1 billion is a smaller budget. Like, they're they're obviously getting serious about it and hi- trying to hire more of the right people, but it's a slow start. Like, they're not they're not coming in on day one and saying, we got, we're going to put $10 billion, because they just blow it. They'd blow that $10 billion. They have no idea what to do with that money. Like, it's not... So, I mean, the slow start would be better if the few little things they made were actually good, even if they're a weird appendages to Apple Music. But... I mean, the Apple Music thing, I think, is a learning experience. And who knows? Maybe the Carpool Karaoke is going to be insanely popular just because we don't watch it. Like, I know what Carpool Karaoke is. People seem to like it. It's, you know, even if it's not my particular thing, sometimes they're amusing, right? And the reality show was a flop. But, like, you know, reality some reality shows are hit, some aren't. It wasn't a, it wasn't a crazy idea. They just they just blew it. They didn't, do it. they didn't make something that people really want to watch. Probably, again, because I feel like they... they want to have some kind of Apple. We're Apple. What kind of synergy do we have with, like, no, no, you don't need any synergy. <laughs> Breaking Bad has no synergy with the people who fund it. It's just a good show. Like, you, know, you, just, <laughs> you just need to make stuff that people want to watch. And it's really, really hard, and I can't help you with it. I don't know how to do it either. But uh, hiring people who have done it in the past is a good start. You know, that's the difficulty about a lot of these things. Like, again, with Apple, um, it's very small teams, small numbers of people. Uh, the one or two or three people you have in charge of this with the most power are going to have a big influence. And if you end up hiring the wrong people, you know, then <laughs> that's bad. Uh, like a, you get a paper massive situation, or even if you just get like a four stall can't, can't get along with Ive and you have to can one of them, it's, uh, you know, these are big companies with a lot of money at stake, but in the end it comes down to just a small number of people. So, Marco, you uh, blogged for the first time in forever recently. I'm very proud of you. Uh, this is very exciting. <laughs> does it, does it, it really out, count? Yeah, it counts. It turns out that Marco.org is still a thing. It hadn't been a thing for almost three months, but it is still a thing. However, Marco giveth and Marco taketh away. Uh, what happened to Send to Watch and Overcast? 
Uh, basically, I had to pull it. Um, I've already covered this pretty well, both in the blog post and in Under the Radar about two weeks ago, so I don't want to cover it too much here. Uh, but basically, um, I was using a crazy hack that would allow me to use good audio APIs on the Apple Watch. In watchOS 4, that doesn't work anymore. So now the only way to write this feature is to stop using the good audio APIs that allow my process to keep running and monitoring with AV Audio Player. Uh, and the only way to make this happen now is to use the old WK Audio File Player Watch pl- Playback API, which basically is used in practice by, I think, almost nothing. Um, Apple doesn't seem to use it for anything, which is probably why it's so incomplete and buggy. <laughs> um, and it's 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 a much larger, more complex pile of hacks because it involves transferring control of the playback to the system and your app stops running in, in the background. Um, and then this, this system will wake you up occasionally, maybe, if you are lucky, when things happen like the queue runs out or the track is over or something else, but that's about it. It forces a certain type of interaction with the now playing glance that does not work at all for podcasts. It makes a very bad experience for podcasts. So things like if you hit the seek forward button, immediately stops playing the current podcast and either moves to the next one if there is one or just stops like it's instead of like skipping forward 15 seconds or whatever like like you actually want Uh, things like that there's all sorts of little shortcomings like that this api was designed for music It, it was it was clearly designed so that somebody you know somebody like a spotify or something could make a sync to apple watch feature and have the apple watch play a playlist of music when you apply the same API to podcasts, there are so many shortcomings and bugs and weird behaviors with the system that are just not at all what podcast listeners want or need um, that it makes for a very bad experience. So early on when I was developing the Send to Watch feature, I was basing it on this API because this seemed to be the only way to do it. And I actually decided to, to not ship it. Like I spent months on it. And after fighting with this API over and over again, I decided it was so bad I can't ship this feature. Uh, so I didn't. I filed a bunch of bugs. I, you know, talked to people in Apple to make sure they knew about them and everything. And, you know, I, how many apps are using this? Of all the of all the needs that watchOS has, like, this might satisfy, like, 10 apps maybe. Like, almost nobody needs this feature. So I can understand why this doesn't seem to be a priority for them to, to really improve audio playback uh, APIs on the watch. Um, especially because this one probably works okay enough for music syncing so it's really only podcast and audiobook and other long-form audio syncing that would actually need this my hack but that allowed me to use av audio player allowed me to ship a version of this feature that was minimally acceptable it still wasn't good there's still lots of other problems with the feature like how long it takes to transfer data how i as the as as like basically as the programmer and that therefore you as the user don't have any indication of whether a transfer is in progress or how long it's going to take. Like the reason that's not exposed in the UI is that I don't have that information. The the API doesn't provide that information. Um, so like there's there's all sorts of shortcomings in the APIs and the technical limitations of these platforms. Most of which are very understandable because most of which are like, yeah, you know what? The watch is a low power device. It, you know, it it needs to squeeze every bit of power it can out of the, you know, tiny little parts and batteries that it has. Most of these are very understandable things, but the the, the reality is, it was barely possible to make a barely acceptable version of this feature. And now that the audio API has changed and has forced me to go back to the old one that I deemed unshippable, you know, probably nine months ago when I first tried to do this. Um, 
that is now that has now made this feature unshippable again. Unfortunately, I've already shipped it, uh, so <laughs> so I had to remove this feature, and and that's never easy. That's never an easy decision to make. Um, it's not a very popular thing to do. You know, I, I'm getting you know a good number of one star reviews from it, which I expected. You know, that was part of the calculus to do it. Um, I had to weigh that, but you know, I removed the feature now, and if I can bring it back in the future, it, you know, as the APIs and the hardware mature, I would love to do that because I already wrote most of the hard stuff to do this. Uh, but the, there is simply no good way to play podcasts in the background on the Apple Watch in WatchOS 4. And hopefully that'll change over time. Do you have any hopes of them changing it? Like maybe if Apple adds offline watch playback of podcast to their podcast app? Like, do you know, do you have any info like, oh, you know, not this release, this release you're stuck, but next year they'll be updating all these APIs to be podcast savvy because podcasts are not, you know, not obscure. Like it seems not, they're obviously not as important as music, right? But in this release, they did the thing that lets you mess with the music during your workout in an easier way. So they understand that people are controlling audio playback on their watches. So do you think next year... You know, do you have expectations at WWC like, oh, new APIs that make it possible to do this again? Or you just like have no real hope of them addressing this because it doesn't seem like a thing they care about? Well, there's still a lot of technical limitations. So with with the new like music syncing, there's in WatchOS 4, they, they demoed during the keynote that there's this kind of like new automatic music syncing kind of thing uh, where you where it just kind of automatically can can like sync a playlist, you know, for you based on what you like or based on what you selected or whatever else. Um and so I think the re- like the way this seems to work is overnight while it's charging on the charger it's doing these data transfers that are that could be large and time consuming. So that way it doesn't have to worry about you know speed being low or about using too much power. Um for for a podcast like feature to work that's probably how it really has to be because you know problem number 1 which I never solved was it's too slow to transfer data to to the watch. And I did all sorts of crazy hacks like I wrote a whole transcoding engine that would transcode it to a lower bit rate and then send it because that was actually faster than just sending it to begin with, uh, you know, at its original size. So solving that speed problem, that's a huge problem. And it's going to take, I think, multiple generations probably of the hardware being improved before that's no longer a big problem. So as, as long as data transfer to the watch is still slow, syncing podcasts to it is always going to be awkward or clunky. Because podcasts don't work the same way as music. With music, you can sync a playlist overnight, and that's it. You're done. Like, you're probably not going to want to change that, like, in the middle of the day by sending all of a sudden 60 megs of new information to it that you really want to be available right this second right now. Whereas with podcasts, that happens. An episode comes out, like, you know, if this works the same way that that it worked in the iPod days, back when podcasts first came out a decade ago, the idea of an episode coming out and then you having to wait till wait till you got home to sync it to your iPod and listen to it maybe the next day that was how we did things back then but now things are better <laughs> now we don't live in, in you know like the stone age anymore uh, now when a new episode comes out you expect to be able to hit play immediately and start playing it and so to have that with to have that kind of experience with the watch with podcasts the whole you you can't wait for it to sync overnight. You can't wait for like oh look, next time I plug in the watch, I have some kind of system to automatically sync stuff over while charging overnight. Like that, that that's not a good enough experience. What you need is something that you can say I want to listen to this right now. Go and have it be not a significant amount of time before you can do that. I think long term the way this is solved is 
the watch becomes a full-blown client of the app with its own downloads and its own sync to the servers and is no longer uh, you know, tethered to the phone app as much as it is now. Long-term, that is probably the right solution. But that requires large advances in the hardware and software before that's possible. You know, that, that would require, first of all, the, the rumored cellular watch um, or at least, you know, more frequent Wi-Fi connectivity or whatever. Else. You know, that, that would require things that we don't have today, really, to do that, to that very well. The other thing is, on the software side, I, I don't know the, the fine details of this. In fact, I, I bet Steve Trout and Smith probably knows a lot more about this than I do. Um, when, when you write apps for the iPhone, most of the APIs you're using are the exact same APIs that Apple uses. The incentive is pretty strong for Apple to keep those things up to date because they use them too. So if there's like a bug in UI kit, it's probably going to affect Apple also in their own apps and their own development. So they have a pretty strong incentive to fix that. Whereas on the watch, developers have only, got, have only had access to watch kit. It, we don't have straight UI kit. It seems, I think, I'm not positive on this, but I think... Apple is using lower-level APIs. Apple seems to be using something like UIKit to make their apps on the watch. But we, developers, are using this kind of subset that, that we're kind of being forced to use, and we can't use, like, the real APIs on the watch. And so what we are using, Apple doesn't seem to have a very strong incentive to fix what we use because I don't think they're using it. And especially, like, the, the audio playback APIs the you know the what I have seen so far with with the limitations and bugs that they have I I don't think Apple uses any of them on the watch that we use like I I, I honestly don't like I, Apple is probably using AV foundation directly on on the watch but we don't have access to that in any kind of way that would that we can actually background uh, on the watch we only have foreground access to some of those things and background access to this awful WK audio file player thing that, that has all the bugs. So until that changes, like until, until Apple's using the same things we are using on the watch, I don't think it's ever going to be an amazing development platform to make advanced type of apps like a podcast player. Um, I hope that changes. I really do. But so far it, that's, it, it seems like we are using this kind of, these kind of like, you know, baby APIs, these like training wheel APIs on the watch that existed at first because it was just so limited and so low powered. And like the first watch kit was this huge hack that where the thing ran on the phone and was kind of beamed over. So like it made sense then a little bit, but now like I want real API access on the watch. I, I want, I want like low level, you, you know, UI frameworks and full blown audio frameworks and exactly what we have on the phone in regards to like, you know what I mentioned earlier, like about how, in in when the watch crazy API, if a user hits next track or forward, it just stops a podcast if it's playing in the background, and like the, the podcast player on the watch can't do what we've done on iOS for ages, which is interpret the remote control event manually, interpret the event that is sent from a headphone clicker or the lock screen or your car Bluetooth or whatever that says next track, and instead of doing next track. On iOS, we can say, oh, we'll just move it forward 15 seconds, or we can respond however we want to that. On the watch, none of those APIs are there. We have no way to interact with the remote controls. Uh, we have no way to set what, what appears on the now playing screen be, besides a very, very limited thing with this crazy watch, with this crazy audio player API. You can kind of set it, but then it's kind of unreliable. Even basic stuff I found, like, if you hit pause it doesn't pause like it's half the time like it just re it, two seconds after you hit play or pause the button flips over back the other way it's like crazy stuff it just doesn't work 
every time I've worked against those APIs, I have felt like I'm the first person to ever have used them. So to answer the actual question you asked me 25 minutes ago, <laughs> I think it, it will eventually, hopefully, become possible to write a good standalone podcast player on the watch. But I don't think that's coming soon because too much has to mature. We need hardware advancements for the for you know battery and power and data transfer speeds. We need all those things to improve. We need the ability for apps to actually stay running in the background, you know, as they're playing audio, not just do what WatchOS tries to do now and and you know kill us in the backgrounds and leave this weird standalone file player that's run by the system. Like no, we we need what we have on the phone. Basically, the phone had this a very long time ago, so. Maybe we aren't that far off. Who knows? But whatever it is, we need API parity in a lot of these areas between the watch and the phone. And not only do we not have that, but it, it almost feels like Apple doesn't want to do that on the watch. Like It seems like they think that this is all the audio exposure we need right now. And I don't know if that's an ideological thing or if that's reacting to limitations of the current hardware. Either way, that has to change. And that's, that's a big change. So I don't expect for it to be soon. So if he, uh, if you got, I'm trying to think of the minimal stuff that you would need for this because it's gonna it's gonna be a while before you get like full access to the APIs that Apple has, if ever. Um, if you just got uh, cell data and the ability to run in the background, at the very least, you could make a very simple streaming only uh, player that communicates with, uh, that, that pulls the data from wherever the, the podcast is and that communicates with your server in a lightweight way mm-hmm. to keep sort of the timestamp updated. Right. Cause if you, was, that's not, that's not heavy background work. You're like, um, you know, pull it, pulling data for this podcast, you know, you have plenty of time to slurp it up when your connection is good and then just sleep for a while, you know, whatever. So, so the input of the, of the audio data is fine. And you got to communicate with your server a little bit every, you know, you could do it every minute. Who knows? Like, just say, oh, update the play position, update the play position or whatever. And then I guess minimal uh, interface to the controls to understand what you, you know, have to have control over when you hit the next and previous to do something different than than doing something ridiculous. And that, I think, you know, I know, I know this is this entire section is about offline watch playback, but this, I think, would fulfill all the needs. Like, I don't need to bring my phone with me. I can just wear my watch and I can listen to my podcast. And but what I was mostly getting at with that, with the question about, do you have any expectations? A, if you had any inside information about it, but I don't. Presumably, Apple will eventually, on its list of things that we want to add to the watch, get to the point where people are like, yeah, people do like to listen to music on their watch. They also would like to probably listen to podcasts on their watch. They know how many people listen to podcasts. They have their stats for the podcast app that comes bundled with your phone. Podcasts are a thing. Again, not as big as music. Eventually, I think Apple will get around to the idea of like, oh, it's silly that you can't listen to podcasts on your watch without your phone with you, especially now that we have the second generation of this watch with cell data access, right? So they will get to it eventually. So I feel like there's hope for you. You're not just like swinging in the wind where like they're just never going to get to me. But I don't, I don't know what the timeline looks like on that. It's, some, it's very difficult to tell how much Apple cares about podcasts sometimes. Well, it's also, this is the kind of feature that, uh, believe me, I've run into lots of these. <laughs> if you ask people, if they want this feature, a certain number of them will say, yes, of course, I want that feature. Or a certain number of them will email you without you even asking, saying, please, I want this feature. But then if they, if you actually give it to them, the, the number of people who actually use it is usually, or not usually, often for some of these features, way, way lower 
than than what they thought before they had it. Well, it's also the usability. Like I, I remember when I tried to send it to the, to the watch, it's not easy to just figure out even how to do it. And then when you do figure out how to do it, the fact that it doesn't work that well will discourage people from using it. Sure, and and I think a lot of people had that same experience with playing music on the watch through Apple's apps. Like it, the reason they had to do this this kind of overnight automatic syncing thing with WatchOS four is because before that, when you had to kind of manually pick stuff to sync over, then wait, you know, forever for it to transfer. That was terrible. It was so bad, most people didn't do it. Even now, on the watch, I, I find the playback experience, even if you even if you can get the data there, the, the playback and control experience on the watch is a really rough compared to what you have on the phone. Again, this, this goes back to my thing of never bet against the smartphone. The smartphone is really good at this stuff. Like it's, It is very rare that I do something on my watch to interact with a podcast that is at all non-trivial that I don't regret not doing not just taking out my phone and doing it there like if you're doing something like you know skip to the next chapter fine take out take out the watch app do there it's it's fast if that's you know if you're if you're walking something that's fine but like for anything anything non-trivial um i find it very hard to do anything on the watch um and not even just with audio in general and and so and there have been lots of other overcast features where like people have asked for it or wanted it some of the things i haven't even released because like like for example, the the Sonos integration. Um, I I right now there's there's as I mentioned I think somewhere on Twitter or something there's an API limitation that basically makes it in my opinion not good enough to ship. So, sound familiar? So I'm not shipping it. <laughs> but um, but I found in my testing of the Sonos integration, it was not a very good experience, and I mostly just preferred to have podcasts playing through my phone speaker sitting on the counter. Or eventually I upgraded to an iPad Pro with big speakers in it. So that's the way, like, and so, like, an iPad Pro on the counter is by far the best way to play podcasts out in the open at home by a long shot. It's way better than Sonos, way better than Echo. It's just a way better experience and because po- you don't like, you don't listen to podcasts the same way you listen to music. There's a lot more interaction involved and you have different, like, you, you want to look at, if somebody mentions a link, you want to look at the show notes. If you know, you, you might want to seek around a little bit or, or look at a chapter list or skip ahead or skip commercials or whatever else. Like there's much more interaction with podcasts than than when you have with music. So like these systems that are designed for music playback, when you try to play podcasts with them, it sounds like a good idea and it sounds like it'd be awesome. But trust me, when you actually get it, it's not nearly as good as just using your phone or using an iPad that's you know sitting up on the counter. So it, it, there's a lot of these features, and I think watch playback is just one of these things that the nature of interacting with the watch, it, it's so limited. The software is so limited. The hardware, the ergonomics, they're so limited because it's such a tiny little device. I don't think it's ever going to be a great experience to play and manage podcasts on the watch. It's it's going to be something that people will ask for forever, and some people will use it, no question. You know, I'm not saying nobody will use it. But I'm saying very few people will, f- even if it's done well, like e- even you know, even if I do everything right, and even if the hardware gets a little bit better and things get a little bit faster, I still don't think it's going to be a very good experience compared to just taking out your phone and doing it there. You know, you said something earlier, Marco, about the potential for an LTE-equipped watch, and I was on Clockwise earlier today, and that was actually the question I brought up is, hey, if would you be interested in an LTE-equipped watch? And, and, you know, why or why not? And and not to rehash that too much, but uh, what I was saying was, you know, I've been running a few times a week lately, and we'll see how long that sticks. But it's been sticking, you know, for a while now. It's been a couple of months. And it occurred to me recently that 
the part of the reason I bring my phone when I run is because if I were to somehow really injure myself, I'd really want to be able to call like Aaron or, or, you know, an, an ambulance if it really was that bad. And if I had a watch that had the mechanism by which I could do that, you know, presumably, you know, with LTE, although I saw some rumblings earlier today saying that maybe it would be data only and not not permit phone calls. But either way, if I had a watch that could call for help some way, somehow, then maybe I wouldn't need to bring my phone with me, which would be nice that I wouldn't have to, you know, because currently I carry it. I don't have one of those uh, peculiar armbands or anything. And it occurred to me, wow, you know, it would be really great to be able to listen to my podcast on my, oh, crap. <laughs> and so uh, I definitely am am not one that had used the send to watch feature in Overcast while it was there, but I, I am on a Series Zero watch, and I think I'll probably upgrade this year. And yeah, it would be pretty cool if uh, that came back. So count me in as one of those people that's looking forward to somehow figuring out a way to make this work again, pre- presumably with API changes. By the way, uh, Steve Trouton Smith actually gave us the name of the thing that Apple's apps use on the watch uh, in the tradition of weird internal Apple names. I mean, Springboard's kind of weird too, but the weird code names, like what is the watch, like the code name Gizmo or something. Anyway, WatchKit runs on top of Pepper UI Core, like the, you know, black pepper. Uh, and Pepper UI Core runs on top of UIKit. How do you know it isn't about bell peppers? I don't know what it's about. Maybe Chris Pepper. Yeah, could be. It corrects your typos for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Joke with an audience of seven people. Yay. Thanks to our uh, sponsors this week, Fracture, Eero, and Aftershocks. And we will see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do Search Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S So that's Casey Liss M-A-R-C-O A-R-M E-N-T Marco Armin S-I-R-A-C U-S-A Syracuse It's accidental I have some bike follow-up. Ah, excellent. Let's talk right, about I bikes. Saw your, I, I saw your bike and I... Or tiff's bike and i couldn't figure out if that was your i'm gonna buy the bike and if i don't like i'm gonna give it to tiff or if it was an entirely separate dedicated tiff bike it so well it was the bike that i was buying for probably tiff but i was gonna see if i liked it um and so that's kind of why i bought it first like i was was going to use my opinion of that to inform what i was going to get for myself Uh, and that bike was the priority coast um priority is a they seem to be a pretty good bike company they um they they're a new york based company they started on kickstarter and uh they they have they they do all belt drive bikes i mentioned last show that i I like the belt drive for the lack of uh maintenance and better you know everything so (laughs) so i like the belt drive and um and that's what i wanted the priority coast is their beach cruiser model 
I got it kind of thinking, I don't think I want a beach cruiser. I think I wanted like a little bit more of like a forward position. Like I've, I always enjoyed mountain bikes more than most other thing, most other bike shapes, I guess. Um, and you know, that kind of like the kind of forward position with the straight bars and the handbrakes and everything. Like I, I, I just like that better, I think. Um, but you know, this is a beach town and, and every literally every other bike in town, except for the cop bikes are beach cruisers. Uh, even one of the cops has a beach cruiser. The rest have mountain bikes. But anyway, um, so so like I thought that I should probably try that. Uh, so we did, and it is a little bit big for me, which I, I kind of expected going into it. So it's a little bit big, and I really don't like the coaster brake. It, this seems like a beach cruiser thing that all beach cruisers have. That you know where you pedal backwards to brake the coaster brakes. I, I just I was not. I, I've I've taken that bike out a few times, and I just could not get into the coaster brake. It also it has the, the the coaster brake seemingly has like the main brake and then it also has a front only hand brake and that to me was very confusing i, I think if this was going to be my bike i would actually remove the front hand brake because to have like half of one method of braking but the main method of braking be the other thing like it was it was just very confusing like i, I want to have that on there because coaster brakes suck and if you need to stop <laughs> in an emergency they don't want you to die because the coaster brakes can't stop you you know so right, right. It, it, i mean really it's just friction point even if the coaster brakes could lock up the back wheel you will stop faster if you could also do something to stop the front wheel so i, I that would be a bad idea to get a bike with coaster brakes and remove i've actually seen bikes with handbrakes that only have the back handbrake like you need you want something pinching both the front and the back wheels because you need both contact patches to stop you in emergency so don't don't do that all right well and and you know my needs here are lower because it, it, again like because they're all like sidewalks full of people that you're riding on like there's no roads there's like these broad sidewalks and they're all full of people and wagons and stuff so like you actually can't go that fast most of the time you're so, gonna hit a deer that yeah that, that actually is a concern <laughs> or a fox or, or deer's get deer's gonna hit you yeah that's more like more like it anyway so um so that was fine. I then after lots of research and waffling as you know I'm I'm prone to do, uh I decided you? finally yeah, right. So I am now driving a CVT just for John. Oh my god. Oh my god. So Marco, what brand what, what brand is this the, the It bike? is another it's also priority. It's their yeah. um their Continuum Onyx model. It's basically their like high-end road bike. Um I have some issues with it. It's not a road bike like a road bike. It's like a it's like it's a commuter bike. So it's like right. it's not like a racing like like the handlebars don't have like those like dip down so U shapes. Road you know. bike is a term of art. It's Sorry, like, it's like a ten speed type thing, but not the ones with the really skinny tires. Yeah, it's a commuter bike. Um, I have some issues with it. Their fenders are are pretty low quality on both of the bikes, and they rattle a little bit even even when they're tightened and everything. Um, the fenders are also slightly asymmetrical, which is, I can't tell if it's intentional or not. Like, they look just kind of crooked. So I'm probably actually going to remove the fenders because they just kind of are annoying me. And, and I, I think in retrospect, this was a bad choice for a beach town because it has these really skinny, high-pressure tires. And while that might be great on a well-paved road when you're commuting to work, um, I, I guess there's a reason why every other bike that I pass in the beach town has these like two inch wide cruiser tires. Like there's a reason for that. <laughs> and and so when you're riding along these walks that are all like you know old concrete, you know it's like it's like riding on an old sidewalk. So you know you're going bump 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 like as you go, like you just hit. You're feeling every bump, and and on these tires you feel it a lot. So I'm actually, I think I'm, I might go to the bike guy in town and see if he can like see if he has any larger tires that would still fit these rims um to, to not make it too big of a project but 
and the seat is like sitting on a rock. Like they call it the priority <laughs> comfort seat or saddle. I think they call them bike. People call them saddles for some reason. I don't know what part of this is comfortable exactly, <laughs> uh, but it's certainly not the part that my butt is sitting on. So um, I have to fix that as well. Fortunately, that's an easy fix. There's lots. Make of- sure you get a uh, prostate friendly one. I was not aware there was a difference. Uh, the one you have is that it, like you you're distinguished by like there being a big split in the middle. You're like why why is this seat split in half? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, it has like a little hole in the middle. Right. Um. So sometimes they just give a suggestion of a crease there, which I feel like doesn't help. And sometimes there's actually an air gap there. But anyway, you want something like that. Okay. Good. Noted. So <laughs> so I have that. But you probably you probably want for your sensitive tushy like a gel seat or some <laughs> other thing that's squishy. Yeah. Right. Like like the 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 old rusted out mountain bike I, I that I was riding here beforehand that only technically has like three gears left of its twenty one. Um, that one has like an aftermarket gel seat on it, and that that was always fine for me. So I'm either I I, I ordered someone on Amazon that was well reviewed. We'll see how it get, how it goes when it gets here in three years, uh, because getting things here from Amazon is tricky. Uh, anyway, so you know, replacing the seat. That otherwise, it's very nice. I really love disc brakes. This is my first time I've ever ridden a bike that has disc brakes. It's such a massive difference over the regular like V-style calipers that go on the rim. It the, it stops like on a dime. It's amazing. So big fan of that. Um, big fan of generally the handling of you know, the shape of the bike. Although again, the, the tires are way too skinny, so I'm going to work on that too. And the CVT is amazing. Like. It, it shouldn't be as good as it is, but it's it's just really really nice. Um, you know, one of the advances, and and there are there are gear hubs that do this too. You can shift at you know even even when you're at a stop, you can still shift. So if if you like are going in a high gear, have to stop really fast, and di- don't have time to like you know shift all the way back down, it doesn't matter. Just twist the handle. You're in the low gear. You just go because it's a CVT, and because you, you can just kind of twist as often as you like on that gear in any interval you like. I find myself shifting way more than I would on on a derailleur style bike. I wouldn't say it's necessary. Like I'd be fine with a geared setup or even with a fixed gear for most of the time I ride here, but it's really nice to have this. That way you can like, you know, if I'm slowing down for a turn or something, I I just kind of, you know, kind of, I've automatically kind of started, you know, going into the lower gears and then moving back out as I go, like as I pedals, going back up. It's really cool. Make Make sure you do rev matching. Yeah. <laughs> Down yeah. shifting for the corner. Blip the pedal, literally. Yeah. So anyway, um <laughs> it was probably not the best bike to get for the beach because of its incredibly hard ride that's obviously designed for smooth roads and not yeah, n- sidewalks. No shocks on this one, right? Yeah, no shock. It it seems like shocks are passe in in fancy bikes. It seems like nobody wants to build shocks anymore. Well, for mountain bikes you need them or anything that's on uneven terrain you need it. For not for not just for comfort but also for control. I also, um, it's been, so since, since we recorded, I also got curious about sand bikes or fat bikes, as, as bike people seem to call them. The ones that have like five inch wide giant sand tires. Um, those, you occasionally see those around here. And I thought, that could be interesting. Then I could ride past the crazy point of woods fence. And I could expand my horizons into in the directions so I could like, I could get more distance if I can ride on the sand. So I spent since we last recorded about two weeks ago. I spent this time researching fat bikes and you know and try looking around for places that I could maybe rent one or try one. And it wasn't until about two days ago that I learned that my neighbor has one and he let me borrow it and showed me how to use it on the sand. Have you ever ridden on sand? <laughs> <laughs> I've run on sand. You ever run on sand? Yeah, it's not fun either. 
I knew it would be challenging. <laughs> I did not realize to what degree it would be challenging. So I get out there, and this is like, it's a perfect setup. Like, it's pretty low tide. He's showing me exactly where on the sand to ride, like, to, to, so it's like optionally pa- or optimally packed down, slightly damp, but not like super wet sand, you know? So, so you're, and, and the bike has like, you know, these large five inch low pressure tires. So, you know, so it's, it's the ideal setup, really. Like, it, it was, it would be hard to find a better setup than the setup I had. And so I first started going, and for about the first 30 feet or so, I'm like, this is easy. What was I what was I so concerned about? This is this is nothing. And then after, you know, as you keep going, you're like, wait a minute, like I have to maintain this level of resistance, like indefinitely. Like it's not like a, a quick hill where like you go up the hill and then you're flat for a while, then you can coast for a while, you have like low resistance. No, it's like to keep moving. It's like you're going up a pretty sizable hill all the time. <laughs> it so I I lasted something like two or three hundred feet before I was like, all right, I'm done. Like I can't do any more. <laughs> Turned around, went back to him, and I'm like, all right, thanks. I'm like this. This ride is either going to save me a fifty dollar rental fee from the place in town, or it's going to cost me a thousand dollars to buy one of these bikes. For the first time ever. I didn't buy the thing. <laughs> well, now you're now you're researching e sand bikes, though. Of course, I researched e sand bikes, but because <laughs> those are only about fifteen hundred. But but I uh, only it, well, honestly, that's not uh, compared to the price of e bikes and the price of sand bikes. That actually is a really good price. But anyway, the, the, my issue with those is like, what's the point then? Like the whole reason I'm riding is for exercise and and, and getting myself, you know, like, and like the challenge of it and you know the the e-bike thing i think makes more sense if you're doing like commuting or like if there's like there's some other reasons why you're doing this besides just like the exercise value like if you were a delivery person using using a bike or if you're if you had to ride between these towns and you had to go on the beach to ride between certain ones like for your job or something that'd be a different story then that would make more sense but for my purposes as like this is mainly for exercise an e-bike is is it kind of misses the point i think well what about exploring is at this point that you want to explore beyond uh, a certain point that you hadn't gone beyond before you want to find new places to get lyme disease you should uh you know use the <laughs> e-bike for that to let you go exploring in areas where previously you would have been too tired to get to <laughs> i think a, a more responsible thing to do is to just keep biking until i'm strong enough to do the sand bike thing um that, that like that is that is what i should do it, it probably isn't what i will do but but that, that is what i should do you just so, walk you just walk on the beach you can just walk on the sand feet work really well no that's what are you crazy no <laughs> so some, somehow we go up and down beaches on long island and we have no bikes just just our feet <laughs> make sure you bring shoes sand is hot <laughs> it is pretty frustrating though like when like you will occasionally see somebody with an e-sand bike drive by as you're on the beach. You're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, what I ideally still want is basically what I mentioned last time is my high-end option, the the Budnitz bicycle, uh, the Model 3 or number 3. That's it. I, I keep getting their names confused with Tesla's names because they have some that begin with model and some that begin with number. Anyway, I want the, Bud, the Budnitz number 3. And uh, I, I will probably end up ordering one of those for home. And then maybe next summer I'll get one for the beach. But we'll see. Because this summer is almost over and you can't get them. Like they're, they're, made, but they're made to order. So like it takes a few weeks to get them. So it's too late for this summer anyway. But I think that's 
what I want here is basically a high spec bike that also has wide tires, but not quite sand tire wide. Where are you going to ride it at home? On streets or are there like paths you can go on? Mostly streets, but there also is... I live near the old Croton Aqueduct Trail. I would probably ride on that. Lots of people do. There's also nearby bike trails. Then I have to become like the person who like puts their bike on their car and brings it places. And that I might get there sometime. I don't know. But uh, I, I don't know anything about that world yet. And so I'm a little resistant to that. Um, but you know, one, one thing I, I think I might get into this is that this is actually... I've only told you about two of the three bikes that I've bought since we last talked. Uh, the third one Word. was the tiny version, which I bought for my son, because they also sell, Priority also sells the Priority Start, <laughs> which is a tiny belt drive fancy bike made by hipsters in New York. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he appreciates the uh, all the nuances of this very expensive fancy bike. It, it, first of all, compared to other well-rated kids' bikes, it was surprisingly inexpensive. Like, every the, the bike that everyone else told us to get which was the Isla or Isla bike or Isla bike, whatever, however you pronounce that. That's like 400 bucks. This was 250. So compared to those, that's actually not that bad. I could also oh, get this cheap. quickly. That's, that's pretty cheap yeah. for, for a kid bike. Although this is real. I mean, the problem with these kids' bikes is a throwaway bike. Like he's going to grow three inches in the next two weeks. And it's like, oh, now he's too big for that bike. Cause you know, it's like kids clothes. Yeah. Well, fortunately he got, we got the 16 inch size and he is like, he's, barely tall enough to make it now so that way he has the most time to actually use it before he gets too tall for it um and it's a pretty well specced bike like it has it has dual hand brakes like you know real v brakes on both wheels not a coaster brake um and it has the carbon belt <laughs> instead of the chain because once he saw tiffs and then mine and we and he he asked about why those are there and i explained why it's superior and so of course he wanted one <laughs> So now we have three people riding priority bikes. We, he hasn't quite gotten it yet, but I bet within the next few days he'll he'll be pretty good on it. Do you have the training wheels on or off? Off. All right, yeah, he'll be he'll be doing it in two minutes. That's another thing you can periscope. I don't learn to ride. Just just run run behind him and hold the seat, and then you let go. That's how you do it. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Me and Tiff were were doing that today earlier. He it was this was the very first time we tried it, so we got we got slightly far. But it, it, we didn't we didn't quite get far enough today to 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 fully let go for more than a second or two. So yeah. I, I, will, I think we'll practice over the next few days, and we'll probably probably by next week he he should be riding a bike. Actually, I was mostly joking. That's not how you should have your head do it. That's the, the way my father did it to me. But that's like the worst way to do it. The way you, the way it should be done is the way you're already doing it. You give him the scoot bike so he learns how to balance, and he'll, he'll do it on his own. Yeah. So he's he's I think he's basically all set. If he just uses this like a scoot bike, but then picks both his feet up and puts them on the pedals instead of just holding them up in the air then starts pedaling he's off to the races yeah we're getting there this budnitz bike is weird which one the number three yeah the frame is weird well they're actually known for their like cool artistic frame yeah i don't don't need my friend to be artistic and it's not no cvt you're gonna be spoiled by the cvt and then you're gonna come to this and it's like 11 gears that's not enough actually i already asked them and they they actually would do a cvt if i wanted it but yeah no i mean it's because it seems like it it what I actually want is a road version of a mountain bike. Yeah, that, that, that's what this looks like, except for the the froofy frame. And so, with this, you know, this gives me, you know, high end parts. Like it has like good brakes, good gearing options, the carbon belt, you know, like nice stuff, and a slightly 
mountain bikey, slightly roady kind of hybrid riding position and wide tire support. And it looks cool. It, and oh, and it also has the other things I like, like minimal branding. Like so many of these bikes have just the giant names all over the place, and it's just ugly as sin. Um, so you know stuff like that. Like they they do some pretty good work. So the way you feel about the sand bike tires is the way I feel about tires that are the width of this thing. Like I that I feel like it's just huge amounts of unnecessary friction. As soon as I stop pedaling, it's like oh, these tires are slowing me down. Like regenerative braking. <laughs> they actually had the Model E actually is one of the more interesting e-bikes I've ever seen too. It it's all in the rear hub. Like there's no battery on the frame or anything. Like it's just all it's just a rear hub that happens to include like a radial battery around yeah, the center. They, they, they have things you see the thing that you can add to just any bike and just slap it on the wheel. There's lots of clever uh e-bikes Yeah, the things. uh Helvetica one what was that called? The uh, I think it's a bunch of them. See something wheel. Anyway, I honestly I thought I thought that was hideous. The the thing you could just add to any of them. Yeah, wow. Well. No, but again, like if I get an e-bike, it would definitely be for home, not for here, because that's the place where like there are giant hills in my neighborhood. And one of the reasons I have not gotten a bike yet at home is that I assumed there's no there's no way to reasonably ride a bike in my neighborhood because there's so many hills. There is. Come on. I I should show you. I I don't think any hill in your neighborhood is as big as the hills near where I was growing up. And I went up them in a bike with no gears. Couldn't change gears down to first gear to get up the hill. You had one gear in the mongoose and that was it. And I powered my way up those hills all the time because that's how you got to your friend's house. (laughs) One gear, both ways. Yeah, that's how you got (laughs) to your friend's house. The worst part. It was more dangerous going down the hills. I wish they have topology in, in Google Maps sometimes it's weird let's see if i can find the other thing is like like as as my kid gets into biking i suspect that a good thing to do will be for me to go with him biking even at home year round so like to have something at home that could do that pretty well is probably a good idea no no nope no topology i can go 3d 3d that's not very 3d the hell it's making it look like this road is flat this road is not flat every time i see a mongoose around town i think of you john no, it's a different company now. They, and they, they actually have what seems like a fairly popular fat tire bike, too. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the budnitz size tire. I'm talking about, like, you know, like the sand bike size tires. I see there's, a lo- like, a lot of the sand bikes around town or, or the ones that are kind of... There seems to be a class of, of bike around here that ha- it's... They're not quite wide enough or not knobby enough to be sand tires, but they're just ridiculous. They're, like, three and a half inch wide, but just, like, flat rubber tires on bikes that look like they might have cost $2 out of the Walmart discount bin. It's very, very strange. But I kind of want to ride one. Because <laughs> it looks like it's probably a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm looking at these, these roads on Google Maps, and I see the, what the, the people did, what these terrible people did to my childhood home. Because I can see it from the air. They cut down all the trees. They put this hideous swimming pool, like taking up the entire backyard. Just giant, hideous swimming <laughs> Like literally the whole backyard is paved over with this terrible swimming pool in it. I hate these people <laughs> <laughs> you know that that should be your retirement plan buy back your old house and fix it uh, it's not that it's not that great of a house and you can't i can't replace all the trees they cut down so many trees so many big full-grown trees at least they still have them in the back but just they cut down so many trees oh you can i mean if you save enough money you totally can buy full-grown trees i know because oh, there's um the the guy shaw there's some some guy named shaw who like invented the hedge fund or something and he's building a large house uh down you know in basically at the edge of my neighborhood they've actually trucked in full-size trees 
Have you ever seen a tree on a flatbed truck? Yeah, that's what, that's what Apple did for the Apple Park thing. Yeah, yeah, exa- yeah. Is it like I I would love to know how much it costs to get a full size tree shipped to your house and planted. I'm guessing it has to be like a hundred grand or something. Like there's nah, it, maybe five five thousand dollars a pop. Well, all right, maybe ten ten k a pop. Because this is installed. it's not on one like regular flatbed. It's on like the oversized load trucks they bring houses on. Yeah, they got the big spade. They got the big spade thing that's co- containing the root ball and all the dirt. Yeah, I know. yeah. There's it's a giant root ball. Like I can't like <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. Like yeah, that's you ever why they like, take it out. Like it's like it's like a thing from like a, a portal. No, not portal. Uh, Half Life Two with like City Seventeen. These giant metal things go in, ching ching ching, and they all go underneath <laughs> the thing, and they all go down and meet in the middle, and it tears up the tree. It's cool. Yeah, I didn't see that part, but even just seeing the truck go down like the main thoroughfare in our town and park next to this giant construction project with this giant tree lying down on the back of it, like that's wow. So anyway, you totally can replace those trees, but maybe plan for like a hundred grand each as the possible mm. cost. <laughs> oh, it's just such a shame. I mean, I, don't, I like I don't I don't understand why people like you don't want to have a backyard. You want your entire backyard to be brick and a swimming pool. It's just it's awkwardly shaped. It's not the right place. Like it's a house on the corner, and their swimming pool is. Like, instead of being tucked away from where people are, it's, like, right up against the driveway and the road. Like, you want some privacy in your swimming pool. It's just, I don't know what they're thinking. I'm telling you, this is what you got to do. Who knows what the inside of the house looks like now? I mean, maybe they didn't change that that much. But I don't know. I, if they sell it and they ever have an open house, I should go down there and look at what the heck they're doing. Oh, totally. No. God, you, you, it will drive you insane knowing the things that they've done. The only way that ends well for you is if you don't have any idea. They haven't changed the outside of the house. They've kept all the gross '80s deck and like the little abbreviated deck that my dad. But maybe they maybe they fixed the walk when they did the driveway. Ugh. Just just terrible. Don't like it. <laughs>